the moment you've all been waiting for. It's time for the Steak for Breakfast Podcast. It's Friday, November 24th, 2023, and this is the Steak for Breakfast Podcast, episode 294. Make sure you subscribe to the show. It's available across every downloadable podcasting platform. Find us on Apple, Spotify, iHeart, and Google Podcasts. Check out the Steak for Breakfast link tree. It'll take the show's Instagram, our latest Substack, and verified accounts on Twitter, Getter, and True Social. What's up, everybody? And welcome to our Black Friday edition, post-Thanksgiving edition of the show. I'm Roan Noah's here. Yo! As always, we've got a great slate of guests. New York Times bestselling author, combat veteran, and host of Battleground Live, Sean Parnell, will be here. The president and founder of the Patriot Freedom Project, Cynthia Hughes, will be joining us as well. We'll talk AI with none other than the Heritage Foundation's Jake Denton. And also, we'll have a good, wholesome conversation with the general of Donald Trump's online war machine. Brendan Dilley will be here as well. Lots of breaking news. Finding a reason to give thanks. A lot of people couldn't this holiday season. We'll bring you back in. Does the pro-life party need some new material? We'll check in on what Republican messaging heading into the general election season is looking like from today's vantage point. And border security becomes an issue again, or does it? We'll check in with that. But before we get into any of the headlines, let's take it over to Pennsylvania and change the way you consume your news. Smokey, this is not NOM. This is bowling. There are rules. Today, Junior, America! Steak. For breakfast! So stand by. All right, everybody. Welcome to Steak for Breakfast. I'm Rowan Noah's here. Yo. If you're a first-time listener, welcome to the show. If you're a long-time listener, welcome back to America's fastest-growing political podcast. And getting things started today... We're going to be in the great state of Pennsylvania, sitting down with a New York Times bestselling author, combat veteran, and the host of Battleground Live, one of our great friends, Mr. Sean Parnell. Welcome to the show. Happy Thanksgiving, and uh, let's jump right into it. All right, let's do it. Happy Thanksgiving, guys. Oh, boy. Uh, so, you know, getting things started here on the show today, a lot of people are taking the days off. We aren't, obviously. You know, day after Thanksgiving, everybody's full, everybody's traveling, we're giving them something to listen to, and I think... Part of the equation that the at least mainstream media is missing, if you watch President Trump as closely as we do here on the show, as you do, obviously, Sean, on your great program, Battleground, it's pretty simple. Donald Trump has been hammering Joe Biden on the economy, and Donald Trump has been to the border in the last week, and Donald Trump always is professing the achievements that he had during his first administration in bringing the world closer to peace. If you just look at those three things... It turns out they happen to be the biggest issues that America is facing right now as far as the 2024 election goes. And I think that President Trump and his team right now have him set on a path for massive success when you look at what happened with the rise of everything and Thanksgiving and the Biden administration trying to combat it, saying everything's cheaper than last year when last year was the pretty much greatest year of inflation (laughs) in the history of the galaxy. And then, you know, going down to the border last week, getting that endorsement from Greg Abbott, but meeting with the people who were actually tasked with the awful job under Alejandro Mayorkas at the behest of Joe Biden to, air quoting now, defending our border and sovereignty and and sharing a meal with these people and and spending a little time with them. I think that's absolutely huge, not just on an optics thing, but, you know, when it brings that issue back to the forefront of like, this is affecting every major city and neighborhood in the country right now. And President Mm -hmm. Trump knows that. And by putting himself in that position, he's reminding the Americans when you go to the ballot box, it's just not about your retirements and how much stuff it costs at the grocery store. It's for the fact that you can't even walk out of the house and not have to look over your shoulder anymore. What do you think? 
I mean, I, I it, you are just a perfect introduction to the show. I think you're right on everything. And, you know, I'm reminded as you spoke about Trump down there meeting with the Border Patrol and, and he's actually feeding them, you know, and serving them as they get there, as they in having dinner with them. And his first and foremost responsibility is commander and the chief executive of the country comes next. And I think it's just important to remember uh, that we are a country a sovereign nation uh, and not just an economy. And so uh, this, the second point that I want to make is that, you, you know, the media is running wild with this narrative that Joe Biden is too old. And I mean, you even see some high ranking Democrats saying that, yeah, he's too old and Americans see that. And that's that's why, you know, I mean, obviously, I think behind closed doors they're they're trying to replace him, but they're in a real tough spot because I don't think Biden wants to go. I do think he's intent on running. Um, and so the Democrats see see the polls, they see the risk. Um, but this is the first time I, I, I think the media is completely missing something here. And, and I think a lot of right wing pundits are as well. This is the first time in American history, guys, where you've had where you've got two incumbents running against each other and both incumbents. Uh, have a hundred percent name ID and and now very very clear records as president. You know, you, people and people remember what their life was like under Trump, and 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 they see what their life is like under Biden. And I think that, and, and this is why I think you see Trump polling so extraordinarily well with independents who maybe don't like his comportment. Like I just, you know, everybody knows that I'm a Trump guy. I don't really care about how he conducts himself or the things that he says. I'm not electing him uh, to to date my daughter. I'm electing him to walk into the room with Xi and and dominate any meeting that he's in. Yep. And so, but I think you see independence now just in, 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 in a lot of moderate Democrats say, holy hell, my life was way better under Trump. So I don't care about all the comportment stuff or maybe I don't let, you know, the mean tweets or whatever. I don't care about that. I just want my country back and I want, I want to be able to provide for my family. And, and I think when people go to the ballot box, guys, that's going to be what they're voting on. And and of course, Biden's age is as part of that. But ultimately, it's the record. And it doesn't it doesn't matter what the Democrats do. Right. It, it, like all the hoaxes. I mean, I was talking to talking to somebody yesterday, talking to my wife about this. It's like they pulled out all the stops to stop Trump when he was running for office in 16, one, you know, the Russia collusion hoax, two and two bogus impeachments that now anyone that's thinking critically looks back at that and, and kind of laughs at what a joke it was. The January 6th committee, total joke. Now that all the tapes have been out, you see very clearly that there was, there's more, certainly more than meets the eye uh, that happened in around January 6th. Now this, the, you know, in these, these legal battles, right? It's not just, it's not just lawfare. I mean, the Democrats are very deliberate in the things that they do, but the trial in New York is very clearly about going after the Trump name, the legacy and his private fortune. And then and then you've got D.C. and Florida lawsuits are about going after him and, and smearing his his election efforts. And then you have these 14th Amendment lawsuits to remove him from the ballot. They are going after every pillar of Donald Trump. And I think the American people see that and they're like, they're not OK with that either. So I it. 2024 is going to be so interesting for a lot of reasons, but nothing that the Democrats are doing seems to be working. And Trump just gets more and more popular with everyone as every week passes. 
You know, it's it's crazy that you mentioned a couple of things. First of all, I was, I was thinking in the back of my mind, Transformers theme for today, only because we've got Jake Denton on a little bit later in the show. <laughs> you know, he's our tech policy expert over from the Heritage Foundation, and, and we're definitely going to be getting into how our government is leaning towards letting autonomous AI target humans on the battlefield moving mm-hmm. forward. So we're going to have to find a good clip from Transformers for the show. But here's the thing. You know, you mentioned the January 6th stuff, and I think that's kind of like the icing on the cake of, of Donald Trump's, uh, you know, candidacy right now. He's done a lot behind the scenes for the J6 families. We've actually got Cynthia Hughes, who heads the Patriot Freedom Project, coming in a little later in the show today as well, Sean. And, you know, when, when you talk about all this stuff going on and the lawfare being waged against Donald Trump, I think another thing a lot of people, maybe even our listeners, might forget from time to time, Donald Trump is a January 6th defendant. So the things that he could do overtly in collaborating with these groups or overtly funding things to support these families, on the outside, he's kind of restricted in some sense because he doesn't want to make it seem like he's maybe paying people off to side with him because he's supporting them for something he might feel bad about. But the fact of the matter is Donald Trump has contributed heavily to the January 6th families and the defense funds and hosted events for them down at his you know, estates and things like that. And you, you have to take into consideration... In addition to the January 6th stuff, there's all the things that you mentioned, the, you know, estate-tied lawfare, the stuff that they're doing with trying to remove him from the ballot in certain states, and that stuff is costing him a ridiculous amount of money, in addition to all the stuff he has to do on the campaign trail as well. I mean, you were on the campaign trail for quite a long time when you ran as a Senate candidate in Pennsylvania. When you talk about adding lawfare to just the daily ins and outs of running a campaign, you did it at a state level. Donald Trump's doing it nationally. How that, much of a that's true? How much of a monkey wrench does that throw into the gears right now? Of, of like, you know, this guy's still doing so well in the poll. He's making it to all these events. He's doing all the right things, but at the meantime, he's getting hammered in the wallet. Oh, it, you're 100 percent correct. And and look, it, this is what the Democrats do so well. And by the way, Republicans need to start doing it as well. Every single state that has a Republican attorney general, if they're not fully engaged in lawfare against their Democrat opponents, they're doing it wrong. Because the only ways that this stops is if the Democrats start feeling the heat, the same heat that they're putting Republicans under. I mean, seriously, you want the Democrats so afraid of the Republican Party that next time Donald Trump is in office, they're like, well, should we impeach this guy? Oh, God, I don't know, because what the hell are the Republicans going to do if we do it? The Democrats aren't afraid of Republicans at all, which is why they're doing all this crazy stuff. So Republicans need to step it up and stop being the party of gentlemen losers and start fighting back. I'm so sick and tired of Republicans just being so weak need without a spine. And by the way, the Democrats know it and they lose these thousand little battles everywhere but to your point about what democrats do they did it to me in the senate race and and they knew they saw the polling that a year out from the election we were up beating Fetterman by six points in the general election. They saw it. Uh, the moment that we got Trump's endorsement, I mean, we were up 35 points in the primary against anybody else. I mean, and, and so the Democrats knew that, you know, I was a Western Pennsylvania guy. I was from Allegheny County. Allegheny County is a two to one Democrat county, but yep. it's also the most populous Republican county in the state. I come from a family of union Democrats. They knew that there was no way all I was going to get a ton of moderate Democrats. And what they did was they just went to war with my campaign on all fronts. And they started working with establishment Republicans to knock me off because establishment Republicans in Pennsylvania, these rhinos that are in Pennsylvania, are worse than Democrats in a lot of ways because it's like at least you don't you know the Democrats are your political enemies. You never expect to get stabbed in the back, you know. 
Um, and they they sued my campaign, filed this FEC report and sued my campaign over something totally bogus. Like like I was charging people for books like my books on the campaign trail never, ever happened. Totally, completely fabricated. We never even did it um, like never even happened at all. But they sued my campaign and I had my campaign was paying legal fees for two years before the FEC. I mean, I was already out of the Senate race, but we were still paying legal fees to defeat this lawsuit for two years after I was out. And so, yeah, they do that. It's death by a thousand cuts. And they go to war with you on multiple fronts because they know that they know that, you know, campaign resources are at a premium. And if you're paying money to fight all of these ancillary battles, you're not paying you're not using those that money and resources to win the good part the good the good news about trump is that you know first of all and this is why the lawsuit in new york is so important they're going after his private fortune because one one of trump's things on the campaign trail is like look i don't need all these idiots i don't need these donors right. like i can i'll fund this thing by myself and so the democrats hear that they see that and they're going after that right and um but trump trump is just He's uniquely positioned to take on all of these lawsuits uh, because of his name and because of his vast personal fortune. Uh, but this this is ultimately why I was encouraged to see Elon Musk going after uh, Media Matters, because all these Republican or conservative Elon Musk isn't Republican. He's liberal in a lot of ways. Sure. I don't really trust him on everything, but I like the where I, I like where he's going. Right. But we need Republican billionaires to wake up and start waging these fights, too. I mean, our country is slipping away and. The Democrats aren't afraid of any of us. It's just the facts. Well, it's it's the truth. You know, we don't we don't have as many Mark Eliases in America first as the Democrats. <laughs> exactly. Do. Exactly. And, exactly. And you know, when we, we have seen some of the billionaire donors, I mean the Home Depot guy actually came out a couple weeks ago and endorsed Donald Trump, but it, you're right, it's a ten to one margin on who pours money into Democrat campaigns and their lawfare compared to Republicans, especially at this point when you have so many of the other candidates seemingly reluctant to get out. You know, the mainstream media 100%. down in the fake primary, they're setting up now like a Ron DeSantis and Nikki Haley thing after <laughs> Ron DeSantis and everybody else kind of didn't work out. And, you know, it's it's just weird to me. I, I understand where they're going. They're trying to string this out for as long as possible before they have to refamiliarize the American public. You know why Trump they're again. doing it, though, Ron? This is this is what's unforgivable to me. Do you know why they're doing it? This and this this makes me so mad and i am not i don't like republican on republican violence but the only reason these candidates these one these single digit candidates are are are, are doing this and trying to string it out as long as possible is because they're waiting for, and i and i heard this from somebody on inside the desantis campaign so this is like i, I heard this um directly where they said they're waiting for something what they say to existential to happen to President Trump. Yep. So waiting for him to get kicked off the ballot in a swing state or waiting him, waiting for him to go to prison and get convicted. And that is BS. If your only freaking strategy as a candidate is to wait for the top guy who, by the way, is getting hit from all sides with Democrat lawfare was con is really this communist lawfare. Um you're waiting for this guy to get thrown in jail and not uniting behind him. You're freaking wrong. It is so ridiculous. And this is what this is what I'm talking about with the Republican Party. You don't see the Democrats doing this stuff. I mean, you see Joe Joe Biden won't even give RFK Secret Service protection. Nope. I mean, the Democrats are ruthless, and it's time the Republicans started being just as ruthless as them. I'm telling you. I'm telling you. That's the only way out of this. Yeah. Look at what happened with recently with New York Mayor uh, Eric Adams. Yeah. It's like yes. first he calls for the board to be closed and they open up an investigation into a bribery scheme around his campaign and then he says okay 
don't close the borders, but now you have to give me like $4 billion more a year to take care of all the migrants you dumped here. Now he's got a sexual assault allegation all the way yes! from 1993. It's, it's like, you can't make this stuff up. And, got and him. It's complete. It's complete fabricated crap. And, and, and this is what the Democrats do so well and why the Republicans don't. I mean, listen, like our, I mean it when I say our country is slipping away. Yeah. I mean, Stephen Miller was on a show the other day and was talking about how uh, 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 why why these what eight Republicans didn't vote to impeach Mayorkas or just didn't show for the vote despite saying that we should impeach Mayorkas is it, it, oh well citing something the founders said. I mean, give me a break. Oh, I read Federalist Paper Six and the founders wouldn't want the impeachment of uh, the, it, Mayorkas is the guy that is that is responsible for the invasion at our southern border. Yep. I mean, seriously, listen to this, guys. We had 10 million people come across our border under Joe Biden. In four years of Trump, 465,000. Yeah. Leadership matters. But we can't even impeach the guy who's funding an invasion into our sovereign country. It's wild. I mean, it's wild. It's wild. It's ridiculous. It's ridiculous is what it is. Well, I think if you were wondering what you were going to get on the show today, if we were going to be taking any time off <laughs> regarding the Thanksgiving holiday, the answer is no. And, Sean, you've done an excellent job of getting us started today. Obviously, we're going to be live linking your amazing podcast. You can tell us a little bit about it in the show description today and, and all the great work you're doing over at Red Voice Media now. But for anyone that's not following you, where can they find you on social media as well? Um, yeah, Sean Parnell USA on X and on Getter and on Truth. I'm also on Instagram and Facebook. And subscribe to Battleground Live on Rumble. That would really help. Absolutely fantastic. It's combat veteran, New York Times bestselling author, host of the Battleground Podcast, one of our great friends, Mr. Sean Parnell. Thanks for joining on the show. Have a great week. You weekend. got it, guys. See you later. My fellow Americans, Milani and I would like to wish you a blessed and joyful Thanksgiving. Nearly 400 years ago, the pilgrims gathered with Native Americans to give thanks to their first harvest. Just over a year before, in September, of 1620, the pilgrims set sail on the Mayflower to settle a new land where they could live and worship freely. They came to this continent with few resources, but rich in faith, courage, and dreams. They endured a treacherous voyage across the ocean and long days inside the ship's cabin as storms raged wild. Then, when the pilgrims arrived at Plymouth, their first act was to pray. Soon, they persevered through the months of bitter winter. With the help of Squanto and the Wampanoag tribe, they survived and began to build a new home for their families. On their first Thanksgiving, they came together to rejoice after their harvest and praise God for His provision. Since then, Americans have always remembered the blessings of freedom and the glory of God. In his first year as president, George Washington proclaimed a day of public thanksgiving and prayer. He asked all citizens to unite in sincere and humble thanks for God's providence and the founding of our country. And in the midst of the Civil War, President Lincoln made the last Thursday in November a national holiday. He called on Americans to come together with one heart and one voice to thank God for His gracious gifts and to ask Him to heal the wounds of the nation and to restore it. Today, we give thanks for all of the pilgrims, pioneers, and patriots who have gone before us, and for all those warriors who have kept us safe and free. This week, we know that thousands of men and women in uniform won't be able to come home for Thanksgiving. They're standing watch around the world, facing down our enemies and defending our great American flag. We are eternally grateful for their courage, heroism, and sacrifice. 
We also thank Americans at home who serve their fellow Americans in need of a helping hand. Families who care for the sick, bring food to the hungry, and provide a loving home to children across the country. This year, in the face of painful hardships, we have seen the incredible strength of the American spirit. Neighbors helping neighbors, strangers helping strangers, and citizens reaching out for those in need. And we thank God for the police, firefighters, paramedics, and rescue workers who put themselves in harm's way to save others. The people of this nation come from all different backgrounds, but we are all one people and one American family. We all share the same heart, the same home, and the same glorious destiny. And we are all bound together by the common bonds of love, loyalty, and affection that make our country into a wonderful home. Together, we give thanks for the loved ones who grace our lives and for the heroes who protect our nation. And we ask for God's continued blessings on this magnificent land. We're very, very happy on this Thanksgiving Day. Thank you, God bless you, and God bless America. Well, coming in the news portion of the show now, that was a pretty wholesome message from the 45th President of the United States, harnessing a little bit of the Rush Limbaugh, Squanto version of Thanksgiving. Good old Squanto. Which we've played for the last couple of years on the show, but President Trump had a uh, good little message on Thanksgiving this year, so we decided to play that one as well. And welcome to the Black Friday edition of Steak for Breakfast. I'm Roan. Noah's still here. Hi. Noah, how was your Thanksgiving? It was good. It was uh, the first time in, I want to say, 40 years that my aunt did not cook Thanksgiving dinner. Was it delicious? No, I, we, we went out to a restaurant. Was said, the alternative delicious? Yeah, it was actually pretty good. I had a steak. I like it. You know, I got a pretty funny story of that as well. When I was little... We used to do, and, and I come, I'm 100% Italian. We huge Italian family. And, you know, it was always huge Christmas Eve at one half, Christmas Day at another half after toys and all that stuff. But on Thanksgiving, we'd, we'd all get together at our house. Um, and there was always two dinners. Traditional Thanksgiving dinner was later on. We'd have Italian dinner, which would be like either baked CD or lasagna, stuffed many gots and Things of that nature, but my grandma, my dad's mom, when I was really little, started buying a crown roast. I don't like it. No? Nobody likes it. Crown roast? I don't even know what a crown roast is. It's that, you know, the crown roast with the bones sticking straight up in a circle. Oh. And and what was so cool about it was they used to take these little, like... You only ever see those in cartoons. Oven-safe chef hats and put them yeah, on yeah. The, so they wouldn't burn in the oven. Uh-huh. When I was a kid, I thought they were cool. And that was my dad's mom, so he would never say anything bad about it for the entirety of my young adult life, all the way up to my grandma passed. Every Thanksgiving, she would bring a crown roast with whatever, you know, a pot of gravy, sausage and meatballs, all that other stuff that she was bringing. They would always bring a huge fruit platter, and nobody ate it, ever, because we all didn't like it. By the, so she would make it in North Jersey. Then it was like a two-hour drive down to our house. Oh, it got a little tough by the time we got there. It was so dry. Like, the dogs wouldn't even like it. <laughs> but, you know, it's just one of those little quirky things that happen on, on Thanksgiving that you, you, you can't get outside of, you know, the dynamics of everybody's family that's listening to the show today. We hope everybody had a great Thanksgiving. We hope everybody is uh, safely traveling this weekend back to their destinations that they came out of to spend some time with family. And it appears as though, while you're on the road, as many people are taking time off, 
President Trump obviously isn't, and neither is Steak for Breakfast. So here we are. Great opening to the show today with the host of Battleground, Sean Parnell. Always great to have him on the show. And, uh, you know, Donald Trump wasn't done there. He did put out the wholesome message for everyone to hear, but he also put out the true social post <laughs> that made fun of everybody as well. We, we, we got to get into this one. And, and this came via True Social, and this was the uh, Haters and Losers version, I believe, three or four. Happy Thanksgiving to all, including the racist and incompetent Attorney General of New York State, Letitia Peekaboo James, who has let murder and violent crime flourish and business flee the radical left Trump-hating judge and psycho <laughs> author Arthur Ngoron. Noah's favorite Transformer. Mm. It's got to be a Transformers clip now. Edgeron. Who criminally defrauded the state of New York and me by purposely valuing my assets at a tiny fraction of what they really are worth in order to convict me of fraud before even a trial or seeing any proof and used his politically biased and corrupt campaign finance violator, Chief Clerk Allison Greenfield, to sit by his side on the bench and tell him what to do. Don't forget Crooked Joe Biden, who has weaponized his Department of Injustice against his political opponent and allowed our country to go to hell. All of the other radical left lunatics, communists, fascists, Marxists, <laughs> Democrats, and rhinos who are seriously looking to destroy our country. Have no fear, however. We will win the presidential election of 2024. And I'm not going to spoil it for you, Noah. Make America great again. Nice. <laughs> so those were tandem shots right there from, from 45. And, uh, you know, I think the other... There was not really any heaters. I, I think there had been so many gotchas on social media from our men and women who are up in Congress over the last couple of weeks. They really did spend a lot of time with their family. However, Mike Collins was nice, sure to deliver <laughs> on Thanksgiving. So Vice President Kamala Harris put out a post. She was in a kitchen. There was some food on the counter. It looked like that they were preparing or eating out of. And she was getting hugged from behind by her husband. And it was like, happy Thanksgiving from us to yours. Cackles, Kamala. Wow. Of course, Mike Collins <laughs> quoted the post, mm. put the two little eyes emojis on it and said, hey, isn't that a gas stove? <laughs> 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 Gotta love it from the uh, congressman representing the fighting Georgia 10th. But, um, you know. There was some other weird stuff out there. No, I don't know if you saw this. We got to touch on it, though. You know, I'm sure our guests today are going to be talking about how everybody's trying to go after Donald Trump lawfully using lawfare. And Sean Parnell alluded to it. And just about everybody can't not touch on it. But there was an article in Salon that came out yesterday. You know, that leftist, communist, Marxist. Toilet paper. Yeah. And it's really funny. It had a picture of, I think, the Capitol burning and Donald Trump wearing a crown. So, so you know where this was going. And it said, you know, prepare to enjoy your, like, last Thanksgiving under democracy if Donald Trump wins the election next year. Oh, wah. Yeah, it was one of those. So, and here it is. I'm going to read the title for you guys. Democracy's last Thanksgiving. Experts imagine America in a year if Trump wins the 2024 presidential election. Look at this picture. A crown Trump staring at the burning Capitol. I mean, that's not even, I mean, the, the left really can't meme. I know a lot of people have probably seen it on social media, getting shared. Don't even waste your time. I'll give you the nitty-gritty right here. Twelve paragraphs, all promoting hypothetical scenarios of Donald Trump and what he's going to do to people if he wins re-election. Thirteenth paragraph, uh, Donald Trump wants to eradicate trans people. That's what the whole... Really? They're there. 
Yeah, so that's 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 the goal. This isn't about making oh, America great again. Is making America not trans again? Yeah, no insurrections versus Thanksgiving. Uh, no, yeah, all that other stuff. It's Donald Trump wants to eradicate the trans agenda and the voice of all trans things. So he, so Donald Trump is focusing all of his might on one percent of the population. Less than one percent. <laughs> I mean, I was being. Yeah, it's Thanksgiving. Come on, man. I got to tell you guys. I don't know if any of you guys tortured your children out there. By watching the Macy's Day Parade, but I'll give, give you a little insight at my house. This was the most woke and inclusive parade I've ever seen in my life. Every single performer outside of the Rockettes were fat, mm-hmm. multicultural. I don't even know what to call it. <laughs> Diverse. Stunning and brave. Even my son said it. They had, a, oh, here's the Macy's Parade dancers, and they're doing like a little, you know, show tune skit. Everybody's dressed up like Uncle Scrooge, and the women are wearing like colonial dresses. They're spinning. Was there a couch on the on the float so they could take a break every five minutes? Dude, the person in the middle looked like the guy who voices the <laughs> snowman in Frozen, that fat gay dude. And he's wet, he, he's dressed up full Scrooge McDuck outfit. You could see he's dripping sweat. His eyeliner is dri- My son's like 10 years old trying to watch this. He just wanted to see like the Dragon Ball Z guy. Mm-hmm float down the street and he's like can that guy that guy can't even do the dance i was like son listen this is not they're not hiring them based on the fact that they can do the dance awful it was awful and and guess what mrs claus is black (laughs) of course what the hell? I'm not even surprised. Did you see me even react to that whatsoever they had santa in the sleigh with like two white kids and a black kid and then Santa was like traditional old, looks like every classic movie, like Tim Allen Santa, looks so nice and wholesome. And then he floats by in, in the sleigh, and on the back end of the sleigh is Santa's workshop, and waving out the back is some like old black grandma. And I'm just like, why? Why? There's no reason for any of this. I, I just don't understand it. We, we, we allow ourselves to be subject to get just abused by such a minuscule part of the population, and it's, it's just disgusting. You know, it's it's the same thing with all these movies that are getting remade where you have all these people who are like, that girl that's doing Snow White right now, and she's like, yeah, I wouldn't, I hate Snow White, but I'm going to make the movie my way anyway. I was like, mm, that's not going to work out much for you. We didn't even go see the Marvels. You know, my kids, Why would you bother? My kids didn't want to see it. Why would you bother? They'd rather go see the Trolls movie, which is... Let it fucking crater. To an astronomical level, yep. like and, it already has. And it did worst opening day ever, mm-hmm. worst opening weekend ever, and worst opening following Monday ever. And that's when you have some real piles of shit that came out, like the latest Ant-Man movie and Thor movie, which were both completely woke and, and stupid. Mm-hmm. Listen, you want to make good movies? I just, like, there's no need for that stuff to be in, because it it doesn't feel natural when they nope. insert that stuff into the movie. Nope. And I literally just... I roll my eyes. I can't help it. You have a universe. It's like when somebody like has to work climate change into a conversation. It's like, well, you know, the holiday and uh, blah, blah, blah. And, you know, you just got to take into consideration uh, climate change and yeah. the weather. And I'm like, you could just, just say weather, dude. Yep. No, that, and that's the thing. You, you have a, a multiverse, let's just say, sticking in the comics here, of all these characters, all shapes and sizes, genders and creeds, alien racism whatsoever, spider people. And when you try to have a movie that is arcing other movies that parallels comic books, and you can only do so many movies because, number one, they're actors. Number two, they're all aging. Mm -hmm. They're not going to be around forever like the illustrated versions. And you're telling your audience, 
out of like maybe three movies a year that you put out to try and connect this story together, you're going to send out like a two and a half hour version of like three shitty female actors with like a story that has really nothing to do with the big scheme of things. I'm glad it bombed. Yeah. Listen, you want to talk about making a good movie? You need a bunch of dudes beating the shit out of each other and blowing stuff up with powerful lines. Like you can't handle the truth. Yeah. And Luke, I am your father. Like that's pretty much it. (laughs) I mean, I mean, you know, I was telling Noah before not the show Luke, started today. Not Luke, I am your mother. Mm. Father? How dare you? <laughs> this should be a funny woke version of it. You know, we, No, that's impossible. Oh, you're actually right. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> Scientifically speaking. And we're off the rails. First audio clip and we're off the rails. Last point I'm going to make. You want to talk about wholesomeness. And I'm not talking about the cringe that all these actors turned out to be. I'm talking about back in the day. We, we got done with Thanksgiving dinner. The football games wrapped up. They all sucked. They were just on kind of for fillers in the background. I didn't even know there's football on. I don't feel That's like. how little I give a shit. Yeah. I don't feel like getting into the Christmas movie stuff yet because I know we're going to watch like Home Alone. And I, Christmas Vacation is my favorite. Mm-hmm. I watched that 50 times during the course of the, the holiday season. I'm flipping through the channels and on AMC they had the three amigos on. It was oh, like right at the beginning where he's like. Classic. No dough. No show. <laughs> they get thrown out of the movie studio in their underwears. I called my son and I was like, listen, there's an old movie. I said, it's the guy from Christmas Vacation and two other people. You're going to laugh. And he's yeah. like, he watches it for like five minutes. He's like, nah, I don't want it. And then he like starts seeing like the funny parts, especially when they like go down to Mexico and stuff. He's yeah. like, oh my God. He's like, These, this is the most racist, funny movie I've ever seen. I was like, exactly. And this used to be completely okay. Yeah. You know, and- well, like Blazing Saddles. Oh, don't even get me started. Where are all the white women at? <laughs> and it's just the truth. I saw during, you know, the, the television that I was catching yesterday while I was in the kitchen and helping out and, and hanging out with the family. They're making like a, what is it called? An origin story for Willy Wonka. And it just looks like the wokest, gayest thing I've ever seen in my life. Song, dance. Um, there's like some famous British actor. I can't remember his name off the top of my head. He's playing like one of the little elves in, in Willy Wonka. And I'm just like. This looks awful. This looks worse than awful. This looks worse than the Johnny Depp remake of, of Charlie and the Chocolate Factory. And I was just like, Mm-mm, Mm-mm. no. And, and, you know, my kids really do push us to take them to the movies. They like to see the movies when they first come out. I don't know why. The theaters are always empty. The movies are usually crappy. And I figured when, like, the Marvels and Trolls came out, they were, like, going to be harping on it. They kind of, like, touched on it, but then we're, like, busy with sports and Thanksgiving, so it just kind of, like, rolled off their back. It, it wasn't a must-see. No. Now they see this new funny movie that's coming out. It's about- I don't even remember seeing a trailer for it. Yeah. Well, there's, it's weird. They, I mean, I don't go to the movies very often, but They still. do limited trailers during things like sporting events now where they know there's a large demographic. No other marketing, and the day the movie comes out, a week later you'll see, like, Go watch the number one movie at the box office, even though it only made $3 million nationwide, whatever movie it is. Well, it was the number one movie because they released it when there was nothing else coming out. Therefore, even though it fucking tanked, it was still the number one out of nothing else. We used to be a more civilized nation. We really did. But now my kids want to see this duck movie. It's like a duck cartoon movie where ducks like... Howard the Duck? Close. They, They lived in a pond and they would always see the ducks like migrate. And then they decide to do it, and it's an absolute shit show. But it's done by the studio that made the Minions movies, and those are not woke and super funny. So, is that Pixar? Uh, no, it's um, I don't know, Minion Ma- <laughs> Minion Mation <laughs> Studios. I don't know what it's called. Oh, Illumination. Oh, Illumination. The Minions yeah. always sing at the beginning of the movies. 
you know, and, and, and that stems from the movies. That, like I'm saying, you talk about the classics. That's the studio that originally started Shrek. Yeah. So the DreamWorks and stuff like that. And, and it's like they've realized, you know, as those movies, don't be woke. Be be kind of like. Be wholesome. Be entertaining. Be be what a movie's supposed to be. Be offensive. Those those oh, movies, yeah. they have a lot of offense. There's all sorts of weird little adult jokes that get thrown into those movies. One of the Minions. Not adult, like adult, adult, but like. No, but one of the Minions movies, the bad guy was one of the two South Park guys. And it's like, you, <laughs> you can't get any more like, you know, edgy than that. Yeah. For kids. And uh, yeah, these people just don't get. It. I hope they continue to lose money. I hope these actors and actresses continue to get shunned. Wait, hold on a second. Mm. How come it hasn't? How come they haven't come up with some weird new woke term for actors and actresses? Says, how dare you? That's like a binary thing, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, better get on that. I know, right? That's not my job. No, it's not. Um, you know, but we're going to, we're going to plug on right here. We've got Cynthia Hughes, who's the founder and president of the Patriot Freedom Project. She's coming in here at the end of the segment. She's going to be giving a, a wholesome holiday message and, and talk about all the stuff that that's going on there. President Trump in his slew of true social video posts that came out the day before Thanksgiving also paid homage to new house speaker, Mike Johnson on the J six tapes. Let's check it out. Congratulations to speaker of the house, Mike Johnson, for having the courage and fortitude to release all of the J6 tapes, which will reveal completely what really happened on January 6th. <laughs> Thank you very much, Mike. Great job. You know, and, and, and when you look at the big scheme of things, they met last week. There was some discussions of messaging and uniting the Republican Party behind Donald Trump. You've seen a lot more House reps over the course of the last 24 to 48 hours come out and endorse President Trump, which I think is awesome. Mm-hmm. Um, what wasn't awesome, though, was some of the counter-talking points. I don't know if you saw this one, Noah. The White House put out a post, and it said, essentially, I'm paraphrasing now, deal with your Trump-hating family members at the dinner table and have the ammo to be able to counter all of their narratives. Should I read a few of them? Seriously? World leaders respected Donald Trump, and the world was much safer when he was president. This came out on the official White House account. True. Here are the counter-talking points. Heads of state literally laughed and mocked Trump at the UN. He negotiated with the Taliban. That's Abdul. Mm -hmm. Sent love letters to Kim Jong-un while letting him and Iran pursue nuclear weapons. Okay. And did nothing to push back on Chinese aggression. Donald Trump fed fish in the Forbidden City. Yeah. I want to remind everybody of that. That's not really a thing that happens... Too often. Last point. Now he's praised Putin as smart and savvy for invading Ukraine and called Hezbollah very smart after Israel was attacked. Both are So just take everything completely out of context. Unequivocally and, false. Yeah. Here's another one. That doesn't sound like the left at all. Let's just say I at the dinner table decided to proclaim in between my turkey leg and, and Italian sausage stuffing. Donald Trump is winning in the polls. My Yes, he is. <laughs> blue-haired family member can now reply with, oh, those are the same polls and pundit who said Joe Biden would never be president and that Republicans would have massive wins last November. Or remember that Ronald Reagan, Bill Clinton, Barack Obama all face similar approval ratings to Joe Biden. And right now they all got reelected or Joe Biden is running on popular agendas and Donald Trump is running on a losing extremist one. Popular just, agendas. Just like on election night, a few weeks ago, Joe Biden's agenda is going to win next November. 
Last one. There's people that actually believe this. That's the sad part. Here's the people one. who write this do not believe it. You ready for this one? Th- this is just meant to sow just discourse or negative discourse with your family. So if I came back with, well, Donald Trump secured our borders. <laughs> oh, then let me guess. They're going to say he didn't build any wall. Point one. No, he didn't. Period. <laughs> point two. That's a point. All Donald Trump did was. Wait, so- wait, wait. Hold on. <laughs> one of their points is no, he didn't. What are these? Is this written by the fucking fact checkers? White House official account. That's retarded. Point two. All he did was separate family, put kids in cages, and leave behind a broken immigration system for Joe Biden and Alejandro Mayorkas to clean up. What the fuck? Oh, oh, all he did was put, separate families and put them in Obama's cages? Mm-hmm. He took their phones away, too. <laughs> and separate the families of people who were committing a crime, therefore you can't go into incarceration with your children. He switched out their phones for ankle monitors. Here's the last point. It's a good one. Now, if reelected, Donald Trump is promising to make it worse, rounding up Latinos and throwing them into mass detention camps. Not la- not Latinx. Ending birthright citizenship and shooting people at will at the southern border. How is this serious? This came from the White House? Yeah. Not like the White House like parody account? Well, Are you sure? I mean, I mean the White House is the parody account now, but I mean, Joe Biden on. is a KJP parody account. So. <laughs> oh, that's right. I forgot about that. Mm-hmm. What a shit show. Yeah, it is. I mean, I would hope. And, you know, I'm I'm, I'm good with a little bit of argument about sure. politics and stuff like that. But it's kind of one of those things where you just kind of need to let a couple things go when you're with your family and your loved ones on the holidays. Because, like, what, do you really want to have, like, a fist fight over the stuffing? Well, that's the thing, too. What are you sourcing this as when let's just say you're getting your information let's just go out on a really wild and let's say you get your information from steak for breakfast like who's printing this out and like taping it to their to their or taping it to their thigh under their pleated mini skirt when they weigh 300 pounds to bring this shit up at dinner i was gonna say taping it over the mass that are still taped to their carvings (laughs) (laughs) dr ben carson loves that one well allow me to retort and then you pull out your your no he didn't Oh, so you're at point one. You're at uh, Congressman Higgins' house for Thanksgiving yeah. now. Apparently, here's the thing: when you, when you're getting your news from places like Steak for Breakfast, now remember our narrative is mine and Noah's and nobody else's. We nobody tells us what to say. What we say kind of comes off the cuff, and and we don't ask anybody to run with our opinion as God's word. But, but I would say an overwhelming majority of the people still get their information from the mainstream media. Mm-hmm. So I just want to tell you, heading into the holiday season. The economy is going to be the number one issue outside of the southern border. And getting back to world peace with a little bit of January 6th, you know, on top. And I, I just can't even imagine January 6th even being a, a talking point anymore because it's been so completely blown. Like, the fact that they're actually still arresting people with all the information that's out now, that's ridiculous. Yeah. Like, if you actually did something, fine. But, you, like... You know, one of the best memes I saw was the Jeffrey Dahmer one where he's holding the person at knife point to watch something on TV. Oh, I sent that to you. Yeah, and it's like, you know, we're going to watch the January 6th. <laughs> it's come on. It's it's okay. Come on. We're just going to watch the January 6th videos then you can leave. <laughs> <laughs> It'd be perfect to go with dessert. Yeah. But we're going to we're going to show you guys just You how- know somebody did that though. They did they had like Christmas oh, dinner no, and then of course. and then all of a sudden they just had that playing in the background instead of football on mute. 
It's like the, the the kid sitting there, the introvert with his headphones on. It's like, what are you watching? You're, you, the game's on, your family's here, and you got your headphones on and your laptop, and they just turn it around, and it's people peacefully walking through the velvet ropes, picking up water <laughs> bottles and putting them in the garbage. Fist bumping the Capitol Police after they get unhandcuffed. And taking selfies with them. Yeah. Weird. But let's hear a tale of two economies. First... From MSDNC. Let's talk about some facts and feelings. What a difference a year makes. Last November, economists and business leaders predicted that today we would be in a deep recession. Well, guess what? That did not happen. By so many measures, it the didn't? economy is in good shape. What? Unemployment, near 50-year lows. Oh. Wages, going up. Oh. The economy, it is growing. Inflation, it is slowing. This holiday, a lot of things are less expensive than they were a year ago. Thanksgiving dinner, gas prices, airfares. A year now ago. I know, polls are showing us that Americans feel like the economy is in bad shape. You would think, given what people are saying, we're in a recession, but we are not. And here's the thing, we're also not acting like we're in a recession. Holiday spending looks like it is going to hit a new record. As my colleague Tom Costello reports, holiday weekend travel could do the same, even if the weather doesn't cooperate. Are they basing that on the numbers of... Last year when it was the worst inflation in the history of our country. Yeah. <laughs> and also they're going to they're gonna base like the travel numbers, not not on the number of tickets sold, but the, not the amount of dollars for tickets being sold with the amount of fuel prices that are going up. <laughs> that, what? How do people... But, like? Some people only get that station or only CNN as their only news. It's always on in the background. It's seeding yeah. in their brains. And I mean, there's a lot of people where they believe everything that they're told. I would have never even considered that the news was lying to me. No. I used to, when I was little, we used to come home. We'd, we'd watch, like, the local news on WPIX. Then we'd watch, like, the little national show they have on with that. And everybody would either pick, like, Dan Rather or Peter Jennings as, like, their world news reports and listen to them. And that's what I grew up on. That's what our teachers always talked about. Those were a lot of the video clips that they show. And, and you know, it was – you wouldn't even think that these people were promoting as much bullshit as they do now. We're going to get into how bad the fake news was the other day. Did you hear about the terrorist bombing? Yeah. <sighs> The people in the Bentley that relate to the Kiss concert? Well, that's the thing. Drunk boomers. <laughs> <laughs> they were bombed, but there was no bombing. Yeah. We'll talk about that a little bit later. Before we get into the other side of, of two tales of the U.S. economy, guys, wherever you're listening to the show today, wherever you're traveling on right now, you're on an electronic device, whether it's your laptop, your cell phone, etc. Find the Steak for Breakfast podcast on Apple, Spotify, Google Podcasts, or iHeartRadio. Follow the show. Following it means it's downloading to said device, and it helps out the show big time. Top 100, algorithms, and promotion and amplification of your voice and your voice only here on Steak for Breakfast. In addition, all of our social medias, Twitter, Getter, True Social, and Instagram. Find the Steak for Breakfast accounts, follow them, and hit the notification bell. It'll be the only present you give us this holiday season, and all we're asking you to do is follow all of our free shit. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. It is free shit. There was a couple posts out there, both on, on X and, and True Social, saying, man, I really wish there was a Black Friday Steak for Breakfast t-shirt sale. One person actually said, I think I'm going to make my own. Yeah, go ahead. Make your own. Never going to happen here. Yeah, we're not going to do it. All right, so for as much as... If you make one, send us one. I'll wear it. KJP in the White House want to promote how awesome and booming the economy is and, and how not awful Bidenomics is, Fox News did provide a little bit of insight into just how much more you're paying and, and how crazy things are. Let's hear it. 
is also a stark reminder of painful prices as the president pushes Bidenomics. Since he took office, prices have spiked for many Thanksgiving essentials. Turkey up more than 31 percent. Bread, potatoes, pie, cakes and cookies all seeing major price jumps as well. Critics say voters are not too happy. They keep trying to reinforce this idea that Bidenomics is working for the average American when the average American keeps telling pollsters and this administration that, in fact, it is not. The people who are getting crushed the most are the middle class, the working class and the poor. Those are the same groups that the Democrats and Joe Biden profess to champion the most. And yet they're the ones who are absolutely getting squeezed, whether it's on Thanksgiving or any other day. Yep. House Republican Conference Chair Elise Stefanik with a new op-ed titled Bidenflation is unwelcome guest at our Thanksgiving table. <laughs> the Wall Street Journal Ed Board writes this. Hundreds of millions of Americans this week will celebrate a happy, grateful, politics-free holiday. What? Family members and fam family memories rather and touch football are still free, but they may well remember their holiday grocery bill when they vote next year. No one should claim to be surprised if they do. Hmm. And if you were wondering, that was one of our great friends of the show, Monica Crowley, providing commentary there in the middle of the segment. Um, hey, listen, do yourself a favor. With the rest of the holiday season coming up, I know we're like a little bit over two weeks away before Hanukkah starts. Obviously, Christmas is a month from now, uh, you know, and that'll roll right into New Year's. In this election season, there's no better time to talk about politics because if there's people who are just blindly uneducated in your family and you don't think you can change their mind... There are a couple things that you could use to entice them moving forward. It is where it hits them in the wallet. Mm -hmm. no, nothing can change how much money you have compared to how much money you had three years ago. And listen, w with as much as at stake, turning a few heads here and there could be enough. Remember, Donald Trump supposedly lost the, the presidency by, like, less than 40,000 votes in, in a couple swing states. So, you know, you got to hit all those purple-haired meanies at the dinner table in between them shoveling their faces with their tofurkey <laughs> to come out and, and vote for America first in the next election. Getting ready to jump into Cynthia Hughes. One more clip I, I found. I thought it was interesting. And, you know, it, it goes back to the, to the there there of what Joe Biden and this regime and this mixed messaging on the economy has, you did hear this is affecting no one worse than low-income minority Democrat voters. People who don't make all that much for a living having to pay double and in some instances triple for what three-quarters of their earnings go towards, shelter, fuel, and food for their family, makes it so much more difficult to be able to enjoy the holiday season when all you have to worry about is where the next meal is going to come from or is this Thanksgiving not going to be as nice as ones in years past was because I just simply can't afford it. Neither can anybody else that's coming can help me. While the Biden regime doesn't focus on that, they send out people like their own fire marshal, <laughs> Rep. Jamal Bowman, mm. onto the news to talk about what African-American families are really concerned about not only during this Thanksgiving season, but moving forward into next year's election. Noah, they're still putting that guy out as a spokesperson for something after that bullshit. You, he you pulled? couldn't guess this one if you wanted to. Let's hear it. People of color have been turned off for a while because of lack of comprehensive immigration reform. If you're talking about the Latino community and no conversation at all about reparations, if you're talking about the black community. 
But we're sending hundreds of billions, spending hundreds of billions of dollars every year on weapons and war. But we can't even have a conversation about reparations. You trying to talk (laughs) about (laughs) practice? (laughs) I mean, anything to get people. If that's not the biggest dog whistle I've heard in a while. Yeah, but anything to get people talking about we're spending too much on war and we're doing too much to, to fund the military industrial complex. That's good. But I mean, come on the reparations thing. Seriously. It's awful. And so see, you know, I, why would they let him do anything anymore after that? You know, one of the things I do like about speaker Johnson, you'll probably agree with me. He's decided not to have any more formal investigations into what happened with him pulling the fire alarm, because frankly, he just thinks it's a waste of time. Is Jamal Bowman going to go to jail over pulling the fire alarm in the no, Capitol? I mean, after it, it wouldn't matter anyway. The, the Capitol Police already dropped the charges and, and gave him a slap on the wrist. So he pays a fine six months now. It's expunged from his record. That's the final disposition for him. So Isn't that interrupting a government proceeding or whatever they're official hitting? Official proceeding? Official proceeding, like what they're, they're hitting most of these January 6th people with? And you've seen the shrine they've built in that exit way right there. There's a shrine? Well, there's now a velvet rope with a hanging sign and signs on the doors and signs over the fire alarm, thanks to our America First congressman and women like Mike Collins. Ah, what does it say? That this is a fire alarm and should be used in case of emergencies regarding fires only. <laughs> and they left it up? Yeah. They didn't get it for, like, a code because it's... Yeah. Out of, you know. Nobody even knew it was a door until he decided to pull the fire alarm. That's why he didn't think there was any cameras there when he pulled it. Nice. Yeah. What it's a dumbass. Tr- I don't know. The door was probably held open on January 6th, too. That's neither here nor there, though. Mm. However, we are circling back to that topic and going to be talking about one that definitely hits close to home with us here on Steak for Breakfast. We're going to be jumping in with Cynthia Hughes, who's the founder and president of the Patriot Freedom Project, in just a moment. But before we do that, let's hear from one of our partners. Friends, I want to take a minute and talk to you about cigars. Whether you're on the golf course, fishing on the lake, or doing some yard work around the house, our friend Alan has got you covered. He's launched the Patriot Cigar Company. The tobacco is handpicked in the fields of Nicaragua, right next to where Mike Lindell picks his coffee beans. The cigars are hand-rolled each three years. If you enter promo code STEAK here, you're going to get 15% off your total order. Every order over $100, free shipping, and a $10 e-gift card is included with every purchase. MyPatriotCigars.com, that's MyPatriotCigars.com, a premium smoke for freedom-loving patriots. All right, joining us next on the show today, this big post-Thanksgiving edition of the Steak for Breakfast podcast. She is the president and founder of the Patriot Freedom Project. She does so much helping out all those J6 defendants and America First. Always happy to sit down with Miss Cynthia Hughes. Welcome back to the show. Hey, guys. Thank you for having me. Happy Thanksgiving. Happy Thanksgiving to you. Did you have a nice day with your family? Nice and quiet and peaceful. You know, before we get into the the nitty-gritties of the Patriot Freedom Project, we just wrapped a segment. You know, we had Sean Parnell to open up today. We've got a couple more great guests coming in besides yourself, Cynthia. And the thing is, we talked about President Trump. We started with this Thanksgiving message. We went through some of the biggest issues that are are facing Americans right now, uh, economy-wise, and how there's two different narratives, one being portrayed in the mainstream media that shows it's a positive thing and one that's a negative thing. But obviously, this is helping work towards President Trump. We've kind of nailed it here on the show. You know, the underlying tone of the world peace that happened under President Trump during his first term, the best economy in the history of the galaxy, and border security, it seems what he's circled back to running on is like the main pillars of Agenda 47 and what he's promoting most on the campaign trail. He did a bunch of videos from Mar-a-Lago this week talking about how bad the economy is during Thanksgiving, stuff to do with the housing market. 
And then you saw him go and, and, and serve meals to the Border Patrol and, and to the DPS last week before he got Greg Abbott's endorsement down in Texas. I think that's huge, not just for the optics, but for the fact that Donald Trump's always been down on the border since he began his campaign back in 2015. When you see the president rising in the polls, looking stronger and fitter and more energetic than ever before, and then some of the things he's doing and hitting on right now, how do you feel as someone who, who tracks the president pretty well, feel that the campaign is doing, setting him up to be in the great place that he's in right now? Well, I, I think it's because, he, you know, he pays attention to what's going on in this country. I mean, he pays attention to every aspect of, you know, the American people, their needs, their wants, you know, and what, you know, ails them. And, um, you know, I just got a call from a J6 uh, wife. Her husband's, you know, been in, well, her boyfriend has been in jail. Uh, for the better part of three years now. And she said to me, this is just a few nights ago. She said to me that I can't survive in this economy. I have to buy a new car and I can't do it right now. She said, I'm struggling more than I've ever struggled in my life. Think about that. That's And that's somebody who may not be struggling as much if she wasn't living in what she's living in. That's the sentiment of everybody in this country. And President Trump knows that. He listens, he pays attention. And, uh, and that's why you see him the way you do. Yeah, you know, it's wild. And one of the things that I, I purposely left out because you are a guest right now is, is also the amount of work President Trump's done as a J6 defendant for J6 defendants. We don't need to talk about dollar amounts and, and specific things, but behind the scenes at least, you can confirm that Donald Trump has been not only a strong advocate for, but even a larger supporter of all the stuff that's going on and, and helping out these families who are just in a constant state of crisis since, you know, all this stuff went down. Well, I'll, I'll say this. Um, President Trump has the kindest heart, a very charitable heart. He loves children. He loves the American people. And again, it's he's paying attention. I've had many conversations with him about the J6 families. I have shared things with him. I have shown him pictures. I've shown him videos. I've had several events where he has graciously showed up to take time out of his very busy schedule to see these children, to see these families, to hug these children, to reassure them, despite his own hardships, despite the attacks that he is constantly under, he always takes the time whenever I tell him something's going on or I ask him, I shouldn't say tell him because nobody tells him anything. When I mention to him or I let it be known that, you know, this is happening or this is going on or we, we request, you know, him coming or we ask him to, you know, to meet with one of the kids or whatever. Um, he does what he can to try to, to make that happen. He loves the American people and it's breaking his heart to see these children suffering. He's seen some of these kids talking about their dads. Um, Rachel Powell from Pennsylvania, mother of eight. I think I've spoken to you about her before. Yep. Um, she was just recently sentenced uh, to five years in prison. Seven of her eight children were in the courtroom when Judge Lambert sentenced her and basically said, you're not remorseful and I have a job to do. And no matter how profound your statement is and how exemplary your children are, you're still going to jail for five years because you went to the Capitol and you protested and you broke a window. Five years. And we brought Rach, a couple of Rachel's children to Bedminster over the summer. And, I mean, President Trump was just so moved. I mean, her youngest boy, he, he just was so physically and visibly affected by President Trump's presence and President Trump's words and his hands on this little boy's shoulder and him telling him how much he was proud of him and how, you know, how much he's fighting for him and 
you know, wrote a note to him on his hat. I mean, this is how profound this president is. And the people of this country, you know, they know that and they get it. Yeah, that's the thing, too. Like, we don't have to talk about, like, the exact legal logistics of it. But as a J6 defendant himself and still having some court-related issues coming down the pike regarding that, whether it's people trying to remove him from ballots in certain states or the actual D.C. case where they're trying to charge him with insurrection against something he's been acquitted of in the U.S. Congress. But I'm sure Donald Trump, behind closed doors, in in some legal sense, is getting told, you want to know what? Optically, it's probably not the best that you go out and and spend as much time as you do or speak on behalf of these people because they may try to use it against you. At the end of the day, he doesn't care. He knows that most of the charges are wrong. He knows the way these people are being persecuted and prosecuted, ripped away from their families and thrown in jail, sometimes for decades, is even wronger. And, And, you know, his heart's just so big Sometimes it overtakes the the stuff that you would think legally would make common sense. And I think that's one of the dynamics that President Trump has. And and he's added to his campaign talking about retribution has so many different ways you could spin it. And and I think finding justice for these people who have been so wrongfully prosecuted is one of the definite aspects that he's bringing as as part of, you know, the campaign he's running right now in, in regards to his election again next year. And it's, it's, it just tugs at the heartstrings. It's really rough. And then, when you see some of the latest developments, Cynthia, I wanted to ask you about this. You know, there was a lot of people who on social media were very harsh about Speaker Mike Johnson. We now host over 40 uh, congressmen and women on the show every month. We've got a, a senator or two popping in now. It seems like everybody since he was able to wrestle the gavel away from Kevin McCarthy has given him a pretty great endorsement. So he's a great man. He's he's Christ-driven. Uh, he, he wants more of a servant speakership to where he doesn't need the spotlight and to go on all the major shows. He'd like to kind of, you know, promote an agenda and have all the other ones who are heavily involved in it go out and, and promote it as, as people who are working for the American people as well. When you saw him begin to release the tapes uh, last Friday and, you know, the fact that he owned up to a promise he made during that speakership campaign in less than three weeks and then got a pretty good endorsement on it from President Trump. Do you think it's a step in the right direction, at least for the American people, to get some more disclosure on what really happened that day and the way everything went down at the Capitol? A hundred percent. There's such a difference between Speaker Johnson and Kevin McCarthy. And I just feel like you you could tell when Speaker Johnson says something, you know it's it's that's what's going to be. Um where Kevin McCarthy, you kind of knew you were just getting lip service with him. Right. And um, I do think there's a a major difference. And I do think that Speaker Johnson is definitely a man of his word. I'm very impressed with him so far. I think a lot of people are. And um, let's just hope that, you know, what he has said he's going to continue to do over the course of the next months is in fact what he will do. Um, And I believe him right now. I believe him. I have no other reason not to. And so, um, so yeah, I'm very impressed with Speaker Johnson at the moment. And uh, I thank him. I thank him wholeheartedly for, you know, releasing the, the, the bit of footage that he has. You know, two things with that footage. One, it showed Matthew Perna peacefully walking around in the Capitol, doing nothing wrong. And now he's not breathing air anymore right. because of this very weaponized government. And you have a family that is suffering greatly over the loss of their loved one. There's no rectifying that or making that right ever. But what we can do is expose the truth. And hopefully Speaker Johnson is going to help the Perna family do that. And I believe that he will. Um, and, and I'll tell you something else about the footage. Before Tucker left Fox News, um, he showed some footage that week, if you recall, 
And one of the things that he showed was Officer Sicknick, God rest his soul, um, walking around inside the Capitol, cleaning up inside the Capitol, putting things away. And yet you have a man named Julian Cater who's languishing and rotting in jail, got sentenced to 81 months, forced into a horrific plea deal. His father has to drive seven hours or six hours one way just to visit him, and he goes faithfully every single week. Yep. Um, he, he, he was able to get to him much quicker when he was in the D.C. jail, but, you know, this government and, you know, the Bureau of Prisons, you know, they, they just, I mean, they have a job to do and they place people, but it's it's a, such a hardship, and this, this is a, a whole different animal, you know, these J6 defendants and what's happening to them. And had that video footage maybe been released before Julian was forced into this try, you know, this plea deal and sentenced to 81 months, maybe there might've been a different outcome. And hopefully as we continue to see the, you know, the video footage uh, come out, it's going to maybe help because, you know, Julian can't appeal because he took a plea deal. Right. But, but maybe with this video footage coming out and a different administration in the white house come, you know, uh, January of 25, you know, maybe, uh, maybe Julian will be getting out of prison a lot sooner. Yeah, that's the thing. A lot of these people don't realize, maybe even some who listen to our show, taking these plea deals kind of uh, exits the notion of being able to to appeal this in court. And, you know, when you're presented with something like 81 months in jail or thousand years in jail, you're probably going to take the 81 months, especially for some of these younger defendants. And, and the best you can do now is this evidence comes out and people start to identify the people who have been in a lot of cases, wrongfully committed or, you know, sentenced way much more than people who are walking the streets in every Democrat-ran major city right now for, for things way worse. You know, it, it's you, you cannot take out of context how important it is for these people who are working on breaking down these tapes online. It, it'll help them so much quicker be able to find a disposition on whether or not they're able to be pardoned or not. Uh, you know, God hoping that Donald Trump takes office again next year. Cynthia, the last thing I want to talk to you about, I think it's very important entering the holiday season. The Patriot Freedom Project is working on the Patriot Family Christmas Drive. Uh, this is a huge event that's going on right now. We're going to start reading it uh, in the show actually this week with Thanksgiving coming right now. We had a few weeks now before Christmas, and there's a lot of families who are in need during this holiday season. We had Cash Patel on the other day. He just uh, went out and, and, and spent $10,000 uh, a piece on a whole bunch of families from who are you know J6 adjacent to help them out during the Thanksgiving season. They're looking to get that up to an even higher level heading into uh, Christmas time. And you guys are doing a lot of work as well. So why don't you tell our listenership a little bit about this drive? So we have uh, something called the Christmas Cause. Uh, for the past two years, we have you know taken in a lot of gifts, um, you know, toys and um, you know, clothing, jackets, things like that. And, um, you know, we wrap it, we would send it out to the different families. But this year, I, I, you know, I asked a lot of the families, you know, what, what would help you the most? Like, what, what would you like? And so, you know, a lot of these families, you know, being separated from their loved one for as long as they have, they need normalcy. And the way to achieve a lot of that is to give them the ability and, and, you know, and, and the, the, the tools that they need to go out and do their own shopping and to bring that normalcy, go buy their Christmas tree and, you know, uh, you know, be able mom going to do her shopping for her children and, you know, being able to wrap her own presents. It helps, you know, it helps with their, you know, their emotions and, 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 you know, as much as you are 
broken because you're separated from your loved one. You know, if you have young children at home, even if you have teenage children at home, right. you know, it's a sense, it's a sense of normalcy for, you know, for mom to be able to keep control and, and, and just feel some kind of joy wrapping those presents and, and doing what she needs to do for her family. So we have the Christmas drive and we're asking people to, you know, send in uh, gift cards to different, you know, uh, retail stores and, um, you know, grocery stores or even in their state, you know, uh, you know, even like small businesses, you know, that, uh, you know, are America first and, uh, you know, so we could support them. And um, so we have, you know, we've been getting collecting gift cards and giving them out to the different families. And uh, so we need support in that. We need, we need people to go to our website, patriotfreedomproject.com, go to the Christmas cause page and you'll be able to see how you can uh, how you can send in some gift cards or you know or make a, a monetary donation, a monthly donation. You know the need doesn't end when Christmas is over; the need continues. Correct. Uh, you know there, there's still you know new arrests happening. We've just had a, a, a slew of new arrests. I yep. mean, thirteen or fourteen new arrests just in the past few weeks. Um, you know, we had a, a major raid here a couple weeks ago here in New Jersey. A young man named Gregory Yetman. 12-year Army veteran, got out of the Army last year, and um, the FBI came to see him like a year and a half ago. They didn't arrest him. Then they come back, and they start surveilling him for like the last two or three months. Of course, he, he didn't know he was being surveilled. And then three weeks ago, 5 o'clock in the morning, they showed up at his house. They violently raided the home. They had helicopters, canine dogs. They had tanker trucks. They had about 40 or 50 agents, you know, flashbangs through the window, you know, just telling people in the neighborhood to shelter in place. Like, I mean, it was just so outrageous and so ridiculous. And this is what we're still seeing. This is traumatizing. This is not only traumatizing to the defendant, it's traumatizing to the families. And we have to continue beyond Christmas, supporting these families, supporting these defendants and helping. There's a lot of damage control here and a lot of collateral damage. And unfortunately, you know, it's not easy to come out here and ask people to donate and, you know, to, to you know, give us, you know, some financial support. But th the need is here and it's and rising. And by the time we get to the, you know, the next election, I think we could see several hundred more arrests because that is what Merrick Garland and his DOJ would like to see happen. Agreed. And for everyone in our listenership today who's feeling it with a heavy heart, you know, here's the thing. Everybody's got some challenges in, in the pocketbook this year. You know, the Biden economy is probably one of the worst we've seen since the Great Depression, if not just an exact rival to it. But just imagine the struggles you're going through at home right now and having the breadwinner of the family instantly removed and not returned for years. How would you be able to move on? How would you be able to try and bring a sense of normalcy to not only putting food on the table every night, but to holidays to kind of take everybody's mind off of how hard life is right now with an empty tree, or if you even have a tree on, on, on holidays like Christmas and stuff like that. So, Cindy, I say it every time you come on, you're doing the Lord's work. I mean, no one's family's been directly affected as, as much as, as yours and, and all the other parents who have, you know, sons and daughters and, and families that have mothers and fathers and aunts and uncles, cousins, all wrapped up in this stuff. But it seems like as President Trump gained steam on the campaign trail, there is light at the end of the tunnel. You're part of that light in what you're doing with the Patriot Family Christmas Drive. We're going to be live linking the Patriot Freedom Project in the show description today. But for anyone that's not following them on social media, wants to check them out and get involved, where can they find them? Uh, you can, you know, find us on Truth Social, you can find us on Getter, and you can find us on, you know, Twitter, X, X, Twitter, whatever you want to call it. 
get out, donate, and give a little thanks to the Patriot Freedom Project this holiday season. This is the founder and president of the Patriot Freedom Project, Cynthia Hughes. Thanks for joining us on the show. We'll see you again soon. Thank you, guys. So I feel like this week was dominated by political news. Um, there was that big poll that everybody thought said was a very, very esteemed poll that said Trump is beating Biden in the, we only have elections in like six states. I mean, that's the whole country. It's, it's Michigan, Arizona, Georgia, Wisconsin, Nevada, Pennsylvania. That's the whole country. Everybody else is just watching. So those matter, and Trump is beating him in almost all of them. Mm-hmm. Um, then we had an off-year election, and abortion was on the ballot, as I mentioned in the monologue. This is the kryptonite, I think, that Democrats have against the Republicans. People really did not like having that right taken away. So I guess my question is, um, these two things playing out against each other, can they hang this issue on Trump if he's the candidate? Since it's the most, un- because he did brag about appointing the Supreme Court that overturned Roe versus Wade. I mean, I think that abortion is like the defund the police for the Republicans. I think it works against <laughs> the Republicans more than it does for the Democrats. Certainly when it comes to a national, you know, to a presidential election. I think it's really tempting to overread the tea leaves in terms of how much the Democrats' success in this off-year election, which is undeniable, will then affect the, um, the presidential election in 2024. But that issue, I feel like that got to something. I'm talking about red states. They've had, this has been on the ballot in seven states. Now, you would guess California, of course, we went through this, Vermont, Kansas, Kentucky, Montana, Ohio, even red state people say, you know what? Life begins when you can afford it. Yeah. (laughs) And we can't. I mean, yeah, I think that abortion is as much an economic issue as it is a moral issue. And I think kids are pricey. No kids are pricey. and I think most oh, yeah. Americans... Like buying a boat. Well, that was some disgusting rhetoric from Bill Maher at the end there, uh, pointing out something that's pretty important, though, as we're getting ready to move into a primary and then general election season. Very quickly now next year, we're like 50 days away from the Iowa caucuses, which are on January 15th of 2024, and they're coming like a freight train. But I think, Noah, Abortion has been handcuffing Republicans because of mixed messaging. This is, you know, people like Ronna McDaniel at the head of the RNC who really doesn't do shit coming out every time an election happens and saying we didn't fix it enough beforehand. It doesn't really seem like she does anything in the intern with it, though. And then, and then you have candidates who just can't not trip over themselves on the campaign trail. Listen, it's very easy to be a pro-life person like Tommy Tuberville. Very few candidates who run for office are going to be able to take his personal ideology and his convictions to the U.S. Senate like he has. But at the same time, the messaging shouldn't be that hard. You have to be able to take a stance personally. Do you agree with me, Noah, on on, on abortion and and whether or not you're pro-life or pro-choice? You can't be vague about it as a candidate. No, you're going to have to jump on on one or the other. But there's also the, there's minutia to it as well, though, where, it's actually people are people on the left are even coming coming around and saying like yeah this whole like abortion's great and all but like all the way up until birth that seems a little weird yeah, or sometimes after birth in some states i mean that was on the ballot and i think virginia recently yeah where you could decide yeah, on whether or not you want to keep it after the baby's delivered awful it's like buyer's remorse 
but that's the world we live in. Yeah. You know, and that's the thing. We, we, you have to be able to take a stance. And, and I don't think a lot of people are going to get behind that. I mean, the people that are – there's so many people that think when it comes to the abortion debate that they have to be just overly zealous about it. Like the purple-haired meanies out, you know, holding up uh, uh, dolls from the thrift store, you know, filled with ketchup and they're ripping the heads off. Like that's a little. That's a little bit much. Yeah. No, I get it, but you can't run as a candidate who says you're unequivocally pro-life in your campaign and then either as a candidate or the spouse of a candidate have these people come in with backstories that you had abortions in your younger years without being able to explain yourself. That's one thing. Taking a stance is number one. President Trump does take lots of victory dances on not only his Supreme Court justice appointments, but the overturning of Dobbs and Roe v. Wade. Candidates who are on the campaign trail, they have to figure out a way to explain that, that the federal government did not take away anyone's right to have an abortion. But the fact of the matter is, is that they've sent it down to the states. And like Bill Maher pointed out, for as much as we hate to see that guy write, sometimes he does read between the lines. When it's on the ballot in these predominantly red states, we live in a society, oof, even a Joker reference there, Yeesh. where people want the right to choose. Mm-hmm overwhelmingly it's not my personal stance it's not noah's personal stance i don't even think it's president trump's personal stance to be honest with you based off the way he has talked in campaign about you know how important and and valuable a human life is and, and, and when that starts but you have to be able to explain to people and make it part of your campaign platform even though it's such a taboo topic on on what exactly the overturning of dobbs did and then lastly you have to take a position on that and I think that's where a lot of candidates get derailed. They come out as pro-life. They champion Donald Trump's appointments and the overturning of Dobbs. And then they wish-wash on the campaign trail and are just a squish when they're on the debate stage or when they're hammered with questions from some of these leftists in the media on, on where exactly they stand. Take the legal disposition from the Dobbs case and make it what your campaign pillar is. Mm-hmm. Because as a candidate running for a House seat, running for the U.S. Senate, or even as president, you essentially can't change it outside of executive order if you're the president. But that's not something Donald Trump's looking to do. So, you know, where where I think Republicans are hurting right now in the fact that it, it's an issue you have to be strong on. And there aren't a lot of candidates out there who are willing to take that stance and, and, and go into a debate on it. Once you do those things, you could start to point out, well, what about these people that, you know, get it on the ballot in states where they have third term, post term abortions and stuff like nobody wants that. No. But when you say it's like Republicans are running on like a nationwide abortion ban and you have no defense of it because you don't want to tackle the issue as you you back yourself up into a corner, you essentially become a, a Lindsey Graham. And nobody likes the real life Mr. Garrison. Less than we do here on Steak for Breakfast. Oh, scissor me timbers. This is something that has kind of gone on under the radar heading into the holiday season, but it was a prevalent topic up on Capitol Hill. Failed presidential candidate, Amy Klobuchar, senator, was talking about this recently on MSNBC. I pulled the clip of her to piggyback off of Bill Maher. Let's hear it. Amy Klobuchar of Minnesota. She is the chair of the Senate Rules Committee. Thank you very much for joining us tonight. Thanks, Lawrence. And congratulations. Uh, the committee actually voted to change a Senate rule. Well, 
Number one, I want to give credit where credit's due. Uh, Senator Reid actually uh, brought this resolution. He is the chair, Jack Reed, he's the chair of the Armed Services Committee. And as you know, this is where this lays because so many members of our military, you heard those numbers, but between behind every number is a person. It's a family. We had in our um, markup of this resolution today, we had a number of military families, um, some who had been waiting months, some nine months, uh, for their loved one uh, to get this promotion. There are spouses who left their jobs teaching in schools because they thought they were going to be somewhere else. People have their stuff in storage. People have their parents and grandparents in assisted living, and they don't know what town they're going to be in. Um, it is story after story after story, and I got to spend time with them both before and after this markup. So I want to make clear that I do appreciate that our Republican colleagues have been pushing him, prodding him, and being not just behind closed doors, but taking it on in the Senate floor. Those are the votes we're going to need, Lawrence, to get this over the top. We need nine Republicans to join the Democrats, because what I did today and what our Great Rules Committee and uh, Senator Schumer did and the Democrats did is we got this over the line, nine to seven, so it can head right to the Senate floor where it belongs. Um, and I just think at some point, maybe at Thanksgiving dinner, uh, when everyone starts asking why is this happening and military families across the country are talking about this. Um, the dam's got to break, and they've got to do what's right for the country and stop playing politics uh, with our military chain of command. That's a perfect example right there of what happens when you take a stance on something, explain your stance on the campaign trail, and make it to Capitol Hill, in this case the U.S. Senate, like Alabama Senator Tommy Tuberville has, and hold up pay-for-play abortions a rule that was changed with a memo in the face of the entire rest of the Senate when it comes to military confirmations. Tommy Tuberville is never going to change his stance, and he's never going to back down on this. He's also going to be back on the show in December. I reached out to his team over the uh, last week, and they had a great time with us. Things really heated up with him always happens the day after he's on with us. But, you know, when you look at the way the left and some of the squishes on the right, because believe it or not, Lindsey Graham was one of the people who jumped on board to vote against Senator Toverville because he feeds the military industrial complex and this is holding up promotions, which, you know, provide it with that food. These, these are people that whose stances change on a daily basis. They go with the political winds of whatever fuels the news cycle. And then they come out as people that act like they were always this way or are experts on it now. And, you know, you, you just can't take the importance level of how, big in a time like this it is to see someone like Senator Tuberville hold the line on this up on Capitol Hill. I mean, no, we've never seen anything like this. There's always been like a hold up on some confirmations over, you know, a bill that's going out there that eventually goes away or, you know, something that they want either in and out of something, but never coming out and saying like, I campaigned on being a pro-life person. This is obviously the biggest joke in the face of the pro-life movement, I'm not going to confirm these people for promotion because that's not who I am. It's not going with the flow of the Senate. It's not going with the pressure with people who have been there for decades, like Mitch McConnell and all his cronies. Mm -hmm. it, it's being a, a real guy about this, and, and I can't tell you guys how important it is. You know, they try to keep Tommy Tuberville out of the news, too. This is one of the most important senators, strongest supporters of President Trump as well, one of the earliest endorsers in the Senate. 
that you guys have to keep an eye on. One of his biggest defenders is is the most recent senatorial President Trump endorsement, and that's Dr. Roger Marshall out of Kansas. He's He's been a really good ally of Tommy Tuberville. Also, Utah Senator Mike Lee, who over the course of last week and, and while this was going on up into the vote, spoke on the floor about this issue. Let's Let's hear him. We've been asked the question over and over again, why punish the innocent? Indeed, why punish the innocent? You know who's innocent? Babies. Pretty simple. You know who doesn't have a voice in the Senate? Probably babies. babies. Yeah, I knew mm. it. You know who can't speak for themselves? Babies. You know, a baby doesn't have a name. A baby doesn't have a military rank. A baby doesn't have a professional career upon which to rely upon which he or she can have people rallying around the baby in defense of that baby's life. It's one of the many reasons why Congress saw fit to adopt 10 U.S.C. Section 1093 to make sure that the federal government didn't contribute to this. The U.S. Department of Defense is supposed to kill America's enemies, not her babies. Mm. Regardless of how you feel about pro-life issues, you've got to accept the fact that Americans, by a margin of three out of four, are not willing to tolerate the expenditure of U.S. taxpayer funds for abortions. Excellent point. Yeah, and I don't think we should be funding people's travel to go get abortions and all this other random stuff that they they keep trying to attack onto this stuff. Right, gender-affirming care. Yeah, gender-affirming care, all that stuff. I just, the government has no place paying for that kind of shit. Furry conventions. Okay. Government's paying for furry conventions? Backstage passes? Backdoor passes? <laughs> there you go. Yep. More accurate. But no, that's the thing. It's it's Must be hard to clean those costumes. Dry cleaning, Bill? Ugh. <laughs> if, you're, if you're a serviceman or woman, and your mom or dad dies... You have to use your own leave and pay for your own travel to and from their funeral. If you're a man and woman in the service and you get pregnant, the U.S. federal government and Department of Defense will put you on a plane with your family members, put you up in a hotel, and send you anywhere in the country you want to get your abortion to on our taxpayer dime. Mm. Yeah, I think that's... uh... And again, not a good use of funds. This isn't something we should be talking about only because Joe Biden tried to change the law with an executive memo. That's the there there. If they want to take this to the floor as a bill, then they could debate on it and see whether or not it lasts. I don't think it'll pass, to be honest with you. But we'll have to wait and see. Guys, wherever you're listening to the show today, in all of your holiday travels, or whether you're standing in line on Black Friday... Sorry. Mm. Any downloadable podcasting platform, especially Apple, Spotify, Google Podcasts, iHeartRadio, find Steak for Breakfast, hit the follow button when you find the show. Act like you're looting. Yeah. But here's the best part about it. Our podcast is completely free. (laughs) There's no Black Friday sales. There's no any kind of support our podcast drive going on right now throughout the course of the holiday season. As a matter of fact, I think we're the only podcast in America that gives free ad reads here on Steak for Breakfast. We don't ask for a dime from you, and we never will. So follow the podcast. helps us out a lot. When you find them on Apple and Spotify, you could give us a five-star rating. And then in in cases of of said downloadable platforms, write a review. Yeah. 
We'd Why love not? it. Find us on social medias as well. Twitter, Getter, True Social, and Instagram. Find Steak for Breakfast accounts. Follow them and hit the notification bell. I saw Congressman Bob Good, who's going to be joining us again soon as well. He was doing a little media heading into the Thanksgiving break and was talking about the issue of abortion, especially in the case of what's going on surrounding Senator Tuberville. I think when you get these large platforms and audiences like you do at Heritage Foundation speaking events, you should bring up these hard topics for Republicans because as a veteran in the House and someone who's in the Freedom Caucus, Bob Good also understands exactly what's going on with this. He knows it's completely politicized. He knows that that politicization came in the form of the memo that Joe Biden used to change the law. Let's hear the Virginia congressman speaking at a Heritage Foundation event just the other day. To be applauding and supporting Senator Tommy Tuberville and his efforts. And it's, it's, it's amazing how someone like him can feel like they're on an island with a couple of allies around them. But I, I want to praise uh, Mike Lee and uh, Roger Marshall who've stood with him. But it's been a little bit lonely for Senator Tuberville from his Republican colleagues, by the way. And uh, because what Tommy Tuberville is trying to do is stand up against the Biden administration paying for abortion for members of the military. And uh, so you have a lawless administration and specifically, right, they want to they want to provide funding for Mifepristone. And we're trying to block that, certainly in the appropriations process. Uh, But we have a lawless administration, whether it's at the border, whether it's with abortion policy. And so Congress needs to stand in the gap to try to hold them accountable with funding, as well as with passing legislation, as well as what uh, Mr. Baptist was talking about, where we're requiring the regulatory agencies, the departments and the bureaucrats to follow the wishes of Congress. And that's a good, uh, you know, angle that Congressman Good takes right there, looking into the appropriations process to defunding the agencies where these they are pulling these taxpayer funds from to pay for these play for pay abortions, which is just absolutely ridiculous. The, the more I say it, the weirder it feels. You know, it, I don't know. No, this is going to be a topic I think that's going to come back and rear its head in, in the general election cycle next year. I just hope for as strong and as on point as Donald Trump has been with the messaging, his team, uh, you know, in meeting with people like Speaker Johnson last week and getting their messaging lined up in an attempt to unify the Republicans here, say, listen, you guys better have your shit together on abortion because there's going to be some really good candidates who could potentially get derailed because you guys have mixed messaging on abortion. So let's all be on the same page with that. I've got one more clip. Obviously, it's going to be from the man of the hour, Tommy Tuberville, Mr. Hold the Line himself. As much as he did with his 6-0 undefeated record against Alabama, which will never be broken, um, you know, He's held a similar record in the U.S. Senate up against motions to kind of circumvent the blockade he's put up against military promotions. I want to remind everybody that uh, Brendan Dilley is going to be jumping in with us in just a second. But before we hear from him, let's check out the Alabama senator who was on Kimberly Guilfoyle's show yesterday. Abortion policy and what Americans actually need to understand about how extreme it really is. I mean, they're using federal dollars to facilitate abortions. Is that an accurate statement? Yeah, exactly. And what they did is after Roe Wade went down the next month, they said, well, we can't control what's happened in the states, but we can control what happens to federal employees. So they just went out and said, let's just make us up a a policy. We won't send it through Congress like we're supposed to do. Uh, We're going to break the break the law, break the Constitution. And so uh, that's what they did. And uh, they said, we're going to give abortion travel, and we're going to pay for that by t- taxpayers' money. 
they can't tell us <clears throat> about the the policy in terms of the abortion itself. You know, it's been rape, incest, or or, or health of the mom. Uh, but we ask uh, in in one of our hearings, what you know, what month uh, are you going to go by for the abortion? They couldn't tell us whether it was abortion after birth. And again, that's exactly what Noah alluded to before the up to full term. And then I kind of tagged on the afterbirth abortions, which is a thing. I don't want people to think that that's like some dog whistle that Republicans are using to scare voters to not vote for this stuff. That's diabolical too. It's a real thing. And, 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 you know, we have to take into consideration. We live in such awful times right now and so hard to talk about during the holiday season. But, but here's the deal where a lot of people are more wanting to talk about the fake terrorist attack on the rainbow bridge exit facility the other day. Going it wasn't even a fake terrorist attack. They were just misconstruing what happened. It was a fucking car accident. And that car took flight, huh? Yeah. See that picture I sent you? Yeah. He's like, what kind of car is this? I'm like, I don't know. Prius. <laughs> it sure did fly. <laughs> but, but you know, we need to start talking about the issues that are going to be dominating coming out of the Christmas holiday season, which is just a month away. Remember everybody's going back to Washington, DC, like around January 3rd to get back to business. That's less than two weeks from the first primary, the Iowa caucuses. So, and then it's like a downhill slope right after that first five, you've got New Hampshire, Nevada, Michigan, and South Carolina right off the heels of Iowa heading up to super Tuesday on March 5th. It's going to be March 5th before we could even blink. And you know, if we don't get these issues taken care of, all of these candidates who are running in House and Senate seats, which we continue to harp on, are just as important as Donald Trump running at the top of the ticket, it's going to negatively affect some of them. So bringing you guys a little awareness when you're out in your community supporting your House candidates and, and people that are running for the Senate, and you go to these town halls or you have the ability to jump in these uh, Twitter spaces with them and stuff, bring up these issues. Like, what is your messaging on abortion and, and how as a Republican candidate and America first candidate, do you plan on sticking up to the Democrats, especially on the debate stage during the general election season, you know, as far as taking a stance on this, have you taken a stance? Can you explain the Dobbs decision? And do you have a position moving forward as someone that's going to go work in Washington, DC on supporting legislation? That's going to be, first of all, America first, but number two, be in tone with the rest of the country and how even some of these red states like Ohio and Kansas, Nebraska, et cetera, are currently voting on it. So big issue to take up, one we don't like to necessarily tackle here on, on Steak of Breakfast. We'll do it again when we have Senator Tuberville on in the early portions of December. We're getting ready to jump in with Brendan Dilley right now, but before we do that, let's hear from one of our partners. I think it's time we had a conversation about a good night's sleep. Pillow King of Minnesota, Mike Lindell, and the apparatus known as the MyPillow family has been cranking out savings down at MyPillow for over 20 years. And for the first time in 20 years, they've changed long-standing MyPillow and now have the MyPillow version 2.0. You enter promo code STAKE at checkout, you're going to get buy one, get one free. In addition to that, they've got great savings on all things like MyPillow dog beds, the Air Lindell version 1 and 2, My Slippers, and Giza Dream Everything. If you're more of a morning person, they've launched My Coffee. It's available in the bean, the bag, and the pod. When you enter promo code STAKE here, you're going to get 25% off your order or 50% off when you make it a monthly subscription. MyPillow.com forward slash steak for anything sleep related. If you want the coffee, MyStore.com forward slash steak. Or you can always talk to a qualified pillow representative. 1-800-658-8045. All right, joining us next on the show today, this big Friday edition of the Steak for Breakfast podcast. He's the author of Still Breathing, the wisdom and teachings of a perfectly flawed man. He's also the host of The Dilly Show. Kind of spoiled it, but also has another title. He's the general of Donald Trump's <laughs> online war machine. Mr. Brendan Dilley is back and with us today. Brendan, welcome back to the show. 
Thank you for having me, guys. Happy Thanksgiving. Happy to be here with you and uh, excited about all the happenings right now around MAGA. There's been a lot of stuff going on, most of them positive for President Trump, whether it's court rulings or poll numbers, uh, optics on the campaign trail, endorsements, et cetera. It's kind of hard to find anything negative about the 45th president. He's in his quest to become 47. You know, one of the biggest, the theme we're talking about on the show today is how the big things that Donald Trump is talking about is basically shaping his campaign right now. And that's the economy. He segued to the general election. He takes pot shots at his fake primary opponents, but still is focusing on the economy and what Joe Biden's doing it to it. The, the open border, obviously going down to Texas and, and hanging out with the Border Patrol, getting the endorsement from, you know, uh, Greg Abbott last week was huge. Mm-hmm. I just think him going down and humbly serving those people meals during this holiday season is super important. Something the president has always done as part of his public service to everybody. You know, we also talked about the the, the messaging that's going on, the battle in the Senate between Tommy Tuberville and the uh, pro-abortion maniacs right. that are up there as well. And then we even sprinkled in a little bit of J6, the recent developments with the releasing of some of the tape, the job that Mike Johnson is doing, uh, whether you right. favor it or not. But it, it looks like that's what President Trump is making part of his campaign, the issues that are hitting Americans hard the most. You're covering the exact same stuff, Brendan, and, and seeing it develop yeah. in real time as well. What do you think? Uh, well, I, I like it's just like I said at the beginning of the year, you guys, you know, people wanted to think that they could push uh, Ron DeSantis <laughs> in the primary using COVID. And I went on a lot of popular podcasts last January, uh, went on with a lot of different hosts and said, you're completely wrong. This is an Ill- a completely irrelevant topic. And in a year, no one's going to give a shit about this. And in almost two years, no one's going to vote based on this. And now here we are uh, 10 months later, and it's the same as it's always been. The economy, the border, uh, it's inflation. Uh, it's it's the uh, you know, I think abortion rights is obviously still going to be on the docket, though. I don't think it should be. I think Republicans need to shut the fuck up, take the win and stop because it's a non issue at this point. Federalism works. It's a state's issue. Leave it alone. Don't, you know, step on your own dick when you're this close to the finish line. You already got that victory. Roe v. Wade is overturned. Uh, let it remain a state's issue. I'm good with that. Um, so I, I think he's. Continuing to do what he always does, which is he hammers on the issues that actually tangibly affect Americans. Uh, a lot of these politicians get on get in the weeds on subjects that really don't you can't like touch. You can't feel you can't see their effect. Uh, the economy affects all of us, especially right now. Inflation. It doesn't care how wealthy or how poor you are. Inflation is coming for you. Uh, border issues. You know, the invasion at the border. Again, it doesn't matter how wealthy you are or how poor you are. If the borders, uh, you know, wide open to the degree that it is right now, it's eventually going to find its way into your community. And so I think President Trump is smartly hammering the issues that most affect every single American. Uh, and to me, it just shows how completely connected he is, not just to the base, but I think all Americans. Well, that's the thing, too. I think one of the biggest points you made, and it's one we made right before you came on the show, it's it's crazy that you touched on it. It, it shows just how in tune we are with, with what Donald Trump's got going on, Brendan, is that, you know, when you circle back to that issue on abortion, you say that the Republicans can't get out of their own way on it. I think Tommy Tuberville has one, been one of the only people in America that actually came out and said, I'm a pro-life person, campaigned on it, went to the Senate, and is holding the line on it. But for 99% of the other people, they just can't find the fortitude to do it. And I think right. when, when when the facts are out there, Donald Trump made a promise. He's, he appointed the judges that were going to uphold that promise. When the promise was kept, Dobbs was overturned. 
Now, if you just can't explain that and explain that it's a the statewide issue and that, you know, it's, for 90 percent of the people that are running in Congress, it really doesn't affect them because it's no longer federal. I don't know why they just can't, you know, campaign on that stuff. And and it's one of the things that Democrats are going to use against them. What is it? Is it is it the fact that these people like really don't believe what they're campaigning in or they're maybe pseudo America first and are kind of squishy on on abortion? But it seems like this is one of the things in the candidates underneath Donald Trump, which are going to help ease his presidency when he wins the election next year, you know, retaining the House and winning back the Senate to get all of his legislation as part of Agenda 47 passed is just something that they need to, to fix up and fix up quick. I mean, we're less than, you know, we're about 50 days out from the first primary. Yeah, I, I look, I don't want to speculate too heavily into the, the intent of some of these politicians. Right. But I'll just say this. OK, everybody has an angle and being pro-abortion or being anti-abortion for 50 years was incredibly lucrative for a lot of people. It didn't matter which side you're on. Okay. We, we, I'd love to believe they're all there because they're just ideologues that believe in the cause. Unfortunately, anywhere that there's a cause that rallies millions of people, there's going to be people that infiltrate that cause and are solely interested in financing it. Okay. So there was a lot of money to be made on either being pro-life or, or pro, you know, uh, choice. And now that's off the table. It's a state's issue, right? Part of the challenge also is that I think a lot of Americans, both politically and in, in, in general populace, don't have a very firm grasp on basic federalism and civics. And so they go in and they really don't understand uh, the Constitution or the Bill of Rights or the even concept of federalism. So that's part of it. Um I think also Republicans, the GOP, are horrendous at branding. They suck at it, which is why me and my team run laps around them every single day. Yep. And essentially, uh, the Dilly Meme team did the job that Rona McDaniel's fat ass should have been doing. Truth. And she Truth. didn't do her job. And so we did her job for her and took care of all the people that really had no business running in the primary against Donald Trump. And uh, that's not an accident. I think that that's. There, they, there's sometimes that you got people that are ignorant and don't know how to do their job. And then there's people who are fully aware that if they did their job, it would go against the people who are writing them checks. So, you know, is, is it deliberate uh, sabotage? I'm not sure. In the case of Rona Romney McDaniel, it probably is deliberate sabotage, in my opinion. Um, I think she, they are deliberately inept. But as far as politicians in, in office, I think some of them just really don't understand it. And I think they... They go back to that well, too. Like, think about this, man. Like, imagine you ran on uh, uh, on dealing with abortion, right? And then Roe v. Wade gets overturned. But all of your money and your fundraising came from the issue of abortion. I think a lot of them just flat out don't know how to pivot away from it. Yep. I don't know that they're necessarily trying to sabotage anybody as much as they're like, I've gotten reelected six times on this issue. But Donald Trump took that issue away from me. So I really don't know what I'm supposed to be stumping on. So instead, they just keep the pedal all the way down. And it's like, we're going to protect life. And they're still hammering it, even though it's like, Hey guys, we kind of need to move forward. That is now a state's issue. Uh, you know, if, if you're in a state like Alabama, I maybe, I don't know, like I'm not going to pretend to know Alabama politics, but as far as I can tell, I don't think there's this huge movement to uh, bring abortion back in Alabama right now. Maybe I'm wrong, uh, but it seems like it's sort of a settled issue, at least to some degree for now. Um, as far as other states, obviously, uh, you know, I'm sure it varies from state to state. So uh, that's kind of the long and short of it, dude. I think there's a lot of money and a lot of leverage involved with with causes that are so 
uh, passionately, you know, uh, debated. No, you're correct. Uh, I mean, I think in the entire election cycle in 2022, J.D. Vance was the only person who was able to counter that narrative and, and take a stance pretty much just as you outlined. And he beat an incumbent senator there to become, you know, uh, the, the, one of the senators out of Ohio. I, I think it's definitely something we need to look at moving forward. And, and we'll see as some of these people start to come out and show their true colors. It's so easy to say you're pro-Trump because you uh, protect the Second Amendment and want closed borders. But then when they start getting into the actual issues, ones that right. Donald Trump tackled throughout the course of his presidency and looked to build on. As part of Agenda 47, it gets a little bit more difficult as, like, you know, when you get into the advanced classes in college. Brandon, one of the things <laughs> I want to talk with you on, we're a couple days out of a year since President Trump announced. You were at Mar-a-Lago when he announced his uh, re-election bid. We've yep. always been... 100% strong supporters of President Trump here on this show right now. I mean, Noah and I have been tracking this for about five years. You've been doing it even longer. And one of the things that worries us is there's a lot of people who, at this point last year during the Thanksgiving holiday, were talking about Ron DeSantis' poll numbers, uh, the rise of people to challenge Donald Trump and, and what it would look like to, and I'm air quoting now, hold him accountable for things that they didn't like during his first administration, et cetera. And now who seem to be fully on the Trump train thinking that people aren't going to remember what they said both on podcasts and on social media just over a year ago. As we right. move into this general election season, we know people are going to be coming, number one, with their hands out, and number two, looking at life after Trump. You, as we don't, give a shit about what life looks after Trump. <laughs> because right now, the only thing that matters to this country, to all of our families, children, etc., is getting him back in right. office so we can get this country back on track. How are you guys... You and the meme team looking at this, I know you, I mean, we talk about it on the side all the time. We see these fakers and pretenders out here, these people that yeah. even get to be around President Trump all the time, maybe even interview him as well all the time. And, and just over a year ago, we're saying how there's a good chance that he could get beat in this primary that he's absolutely dominating in now. Um, well, so there's, there's two different discussions, right? So here's, here's what I'll say. You'll see a little bit different version of me and the meme team through the campaign because I have one goal Trump. Okay. That's it. I have one goal. And so I can't spare the resources uh, of, of singling out dickheads uh, that were, that are essentially trying to get back on that, that money train of Trump. Okay. Not during 2024. What I will tell you is that the day after inauguration, some of these motherfuckers better watch out. That's all I can say is like during this time, I'm going to be a big boy. I'm going to play nice in the sandbox to get the boss man back in the White House because the country is over if we don't. But after he's sworn in, oh, oh, oh there's going to be some conversations we're all going to have and we're going to do it the way we know how. But but between now and then, I just can't deploy any. Uh, I don't think I want to deploy any resources. Look, I, I don't like Ben Shapiro. I think he's a fucking dickhead. Uh, I think he's a fraud. Uh, I think there's a whole Dana Lausch. I, I could go down the laundry list. The super beats uh, queen. <laughs> oh, yeah. What, what's the other one? Clay Travis oh, now God. pretending he's he's Mr. Uh, I'm cool with Trump while he was a initial investor for DeSantis and was spent the you know better part of this year dogging on President Trump. Him and that other guy, Buck Sexton, the fucking CIA guy. Yep. So. Look, a lot of these guys are going to do what they're going to do, but they're all fading fast. They're, they're dying on the vine because they don't have audiences that are expanding and discovering them and going, wow, I want to listen to these people. So a lot of them, man, I think they're going to take themselves out. I, I believe in capitalism and everything, and I fundamentally just believe, dude, when your time passes and if you don't evolve and you don't have um, you know, interesting takes and you don't have creative uh, thoughts. And if you're also not a very loyal person, 
eventually the marketplace takes you out. And I feel like for a lot of these people, I, I think that's what's going to end up happening. I think whether it's in a year or two years or five years, uh, I think they are what they are. And I, I don't think they really belong in the marketplace. And I think over time, the marketplace is going to reveal that. Oh, you're, you're hundred percent correct. I see Noah nodding here. I mean, in, in more of our, frank conversations that we have on the phone with other people who are in America first that we talk to that see the exact same thing. You're all cunts and we see you also as applicable in this situation. I mean, that's pretty 100%. much normal on that one as well. Brandon, this has been awesome sitting down with you today. It's always great having you on the show. We'd be looking forward to having you back in December. If you'd be so humble as to join us, we're going to obviously live link your show and everything you got going on in the show description today, but for anyone that wants to continue to follow and support you as well, the daily meme team, anything possible, where can they find you and check you out? Uh, the best place to find us is dillyshow.com. That's the best place if you guys want to find it, like whether it's apparel. We've now got Dilly Meme Team apparel. I think you guys are going to flip out when you see it. If you haven't seen it yet, we just went live this afternoon. It is awesome. It's all retro. Uh, if you want to support the Dilly Meme Team and you maybe even if you want to hire them, you got commercials you need help with. You've got a product you're trying to market, whatever. You can go to dillymemeteam.com and you can inquire through there. Um, but otherwise, yeah, dude, I mean, uh, social media, obviously going Warlord Dilly on Twitter. That's the, my primary uh, social media account. And I actually have a list. Uh, if you go to my lists, you can subscribe to the Dilly Meme Team list and you'll never miss a post from them. So that's another great way to support them as well. Speaking of lists, this guy's got more scalps than anybody in America first. This is the host of the <laughs> Dilly Show, author Brendan Dilly. Thanks for joining us and have a great weekend. Thanks, fellas. You too. Thank you, Jerika. CBS News has obtained a security alert suggesting an increasing terrorist threat to New York State. The New York State Intelligence Bulletin points to Israeli operations against Hamas, and specifically that the increase in civilian casualties raises the likelihood that violent extremist threat actors will seek to conduct attacks against targets in the West, with New York State being a focus. The alert says possible targets include protests and other public events. Police in New York maintaining a highly visible security presence around potential targets like synagogues. And while there's no specific or credible threat, security for this week's Thanksgiving Day parade is at a high level with the full deployment of thousands of New York City police officers. The intelligence bulletin emphasizes that anti-Palestinian chatter has also been observed on multiple social media channels with pro-Israeli advocates calling for violence against Palestinians and those who support them. The greatest threat threat comes from lone actors who take inspiration from violent rhetoric, much of it online. Today, New York's governor called on social media companies to take an aggressive approach to shut them down. Jerika. Catherine. Hmm, more censorship. We're, we're still doing that? So, no, that was a report that came out on CBS World News tonight, Tuesday evening of this week. Saw it getting thrown around. I believe I was in Trump Tuesday in Twitter space uh, when it was thrown up in the nest and, and everybody started making fun of it. First of all, I haven't seen any pro-Israel, anti-Palestinian rage anywhere in the United States right now. As a matter of fact, there was over 300,000 people that marched peacefully in Washington, D.C. the other day for a pro-Israel rally, and there wasn't incident one reported by the police. Nobody was burning Palestinian flags or anything? No, or wiping red paint anywhere or trying to desecrate monuments or anything like that. It was actually a peaceful march and protest. Yeah, I don't... I don't understand why people can't figure that out. Like you, your, your message gets taken so much more seriously if you can act like an adult while you're giving it. And then what's going on today, we're not giving it any coverage. We don't have Colonel McGregor, or Colonel Madison today. I mean, I don't want to waste time, but everybody eye rolling about it, but what's going on right now, there's like a four day 
ceasefire brokered on behalf of the Biden administration. I guess Tony Blinken flew back out there on Wednesday, and he's been just like trying to twist these guys' arms behind the scenes. Oh, it's 100% damage control because everybody's shitting on the administration. It's so bad. But, you know, the way this administration continues to handcuff the Israeli government in the face of tyranny while continuing to promote what's going on in Ukraine is just fucking so wild to me. Mm-hmm. It's a tale of two narratives. They, they want to be on both ends of it. They're losers on both ends. But, you know, that news report led directly into Tuesday morning's incident that happened at an outbound inspection station, leaving the United States at Niagara Falls and heading into Canada. It was widely reported everywhere that this was a terrorist attack, that this was a terrorist bombing, that this was, there were Iranian passports found. Seriously? Adjacent to the vehicle. Those were real reports. I mean, they were coming from everybody. Fox News ran with it first. MSNBC and CNN followed. But then you have all these major influencers online. I mean, Steve Bannon. The passport thing had to have been a joke that somebody took seriously and reported on. There's no way. That's like a 9-11 joke. The the pa- the Iranian the passport passports. With, with Dylan Roof's picture was, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but, I mean, Steve Bannon was running with it still on his late show uh, in the evening on Wednesday. He was talking more about borders and security and what potentially could happen, but still kind of sticking in the throat. Benny Johnson, all those people, worst terrorist attack in the history of terrorist attacks. Did he say apparatus? Several times. <laughs> but the fact of the matter is, this was two boomers who did a little too much partying at the Kiss concert, probably lost a little too much in the casino, and then were having some kind of a medical emergency while on the road back home. So they had to poop. Something happened. <laughs> Man, that car flew like fucking Superman. It was a Bentley, right? Yeah. Yeah, that's an expensive car to... For as big and as heavy as those things are, how fast the ninth that... dimension. I mean, it went up like a little <laughs> hill that kind of accented an S-curve. The hill couldn't have been more than four feet high, and that thing cleared a 10-foot fence. Well, I mean, they were going almost 100 miles an hour probably, right? Yeah. It doesn't take much. So after everybody had to go out and say, listen, we didn't post on any of our social medias one instance of it being a terror attack. I actually jumped in a Twitter space with uh, Raw News and, and Nick Soder, and I said, everything that I'm hearing, video and pictures that I've seen, you know, a lot of our listenership, they work in and around the border. There were some people who were first responders, who fire department who responded to the exact incident. They didn't hear anything about terrorist attack. They didn't hear anything about bombs. Listen, when a Bentley's going 100 miles an hour and hits a hill... With a full tank of gas. ...and crashes into, like, one of those booths, there's going to be a little bit of an explosion. Well, those little pylons just probably sh- sheared the thing in half, and then just the metal sparking and electronic components going up, like, it just turned into a fireball. And, I mean, some of the first responders who were talking to us said the only things that essentially survived the crash was both axles and the engine block. Mm. I mean, it, it was wicked... Did somebody, did somebody on scene that worked for the the whatever agency it was get get hit with something? Or I, I, heard, be- I heard somebody I, got injured. I believe there was a security guard who uh, you know sustained non life threatening injuries. Probably some of the plastic and metal that was flying off of that thing at the velocity it hit the little booth with. But oh yeah, that must have just spackled the entire area. We tried to tell him, and, and I'll be honest with you, I but- slept through the whole thing. I didn't know anything had happened. I literally woke up, grabbed my phone. And saw that message from you, like, hey, what kind of car is this? I'm like, I don't know. I think I said it was a Tesla because it looked like it had that black The black, yeah. Yeah. But, uh, you know, when I spoke in some of these Twitter spaces, there was an an overwhelming majority of thumbs down. So to all the haters and losers, (laughs) 
we were right. CNN was doing a little cleanup control uh, as well. Let's hear them kind of redacting their entire day worth of reporting. Well, investigators have been going backwards through the day of the person they believe to be the driver of that car. And what they see is a 56-year-old man from the area. He lives in a very upscale um, Mm. island and uh, that's not far away, who had intended to go to the KISS concert, which was canceled, then changed his plans um, to a casino where he spent some time and and then leaves the casino and then drives at a high rate of speed along this road in Niagara Falls, hits the divider, goes airborne, as the governor said, and lands in an explosion. Uh, Authorities believe he was in the car with his wife. This was a Bentley two-door Excelsior uh, X. Uh, This is a car that uh, goes for about $300,000 new. Minimum. Um, Minimum. So it does not, as Matt Miragula from the FBI indicated, the special agent in charge in Buffalo, um, who runs the Joint Terrorism Task Force up there, does not have any of the earmarks of terrorism. It looks much more, as they have been able to go backwards through it, like a terrible accident. The question is how and why, um, and they're still looking at that, but they don't believe there's any criminal or terrorist nexus here. And again, wh- it's interesting, though. What are the chances of the car landing in an explosion? Oh, it's good. <laughs> it's a good point. No, it's not. It's like... It's a horrible point. <laughs> Such amazing it's reporting. So stupid. And I tried. I tried to tell everybody. You know, the only focus that I do like about this, as we're getting ready to wrap the show here, we still have got Jake Denton and the Heritage Foundation coming in. We've got a lot of stuff to talk about regarding AI and, and just the wild news that we've heard over the last. Listen, this is apparently a Transformer theme show. Even people that didn't even know we were looking at Transformer themes have made Transformer references. Noah talked about the trans agenda a little bit as well. Mm. But it does refocus and goes back on what we've all been talking about today, what President Trump is hitting and hitting hard. Opening segment with the economy. We talked about Republican messaging in the middle. Now we're going to finish it up with the border. And, you know, this is going to be one of the biggest issues of the campaign as well. It's going to be something that needs to be talked about uh, for the entirety of it what's your plan the best part about donald trump is and all those people that are running alongside him tom homan with the border 911 you know of all these other former administration officials that are out there talking about you know what we need to do in regards to the border all the other candidates don't have any experience in it all the other candidates can only hypothesize or piggyback off what donald trump has already did and say that they would do it even harder the only thing that's good is is that donald trump knows what actually works he has a lot of the players still involved who can, you know, make the things that he wants to do as part of Agenda 47 happen. And I think one of the biggest backers he's got in all of this is the head of the Border Patrol Union, Brendan Judd. So he was on John Solomon's show last week. It looks like he's going to be joining us again in December as well. Uh, let's hear him. You had President Trump over the weekend down in Texas serving Thanksgiving dinner to Border Patrol agents. At the same time, you have President Biden in the White House, who for his part, uh, you know, he held a, a, a bilat meeting with the president of Mexico to talk about the fentanyl crisis. And he's hosted a number of meetings on that this week. So so Joe Biden is, hand, is tackling it from that side. But President Trump is the one who is actually there trying to boost the morale of Border Patrol. And it seems to me that it comes down to an issue of priorities for the men and women who who you represent, who are there on the border, 
Is it more important? Does it mean more to them to have someone in the White House who's having these meetings or someone who's actually there on the border seeing and feeling and hearing about what happens there and, and in exchange serving them dinner? It's a lot more important to see the actual person that's going to implement the policies. They're on the front lines hearing about everything that's going on, what can be done to actually secure our border. It's a lot more important there than going and visiting with other dignitaries of another country. Those countries do not have to follow what we want them to do. We should not be trying to fix the problem in another country. We have control of what happens on our borders. We have control of what happens here. If we try to get other countries involved, we're gonna have to pay a high price for that. The taxpayers are gonna have to shoulder that burden. These countries do not enter into agreements unless we're shelling out money for those agreements. Whereas if we just implemented policy right here on our side of the border, we could control it tomorrow and, and we could do it without uh, putting the burden on the taxpayer. President Trump has proven that he knows what to do. He's also proven that he's going to do what he said in the past. That's why we support him. That's why we appreciate what he did on the border. And, and Amanda, let me tell you what, what I saw firsthand was amazing. This was an individual that was on a time constraint. I knew what his time was, and yet he took the time out to shake the hand of every single person that came through that line, to talk to those individuals. He let them take a picture, even though it ruined that, that, that time constraint that he had. He had the Secret Service that was stepping up to him multiple times saying, President, you can't do this. You have a certain time. And he shooed them away and he <laughs> did what was necessary to yep. show the men and women that he appreciated them, that he appreciated everything that, that they were trying to do to secure our border for the American people. That's how he is with all the ordinary citizens here in the United States. It's not just about the powerful. It's about those people that want to do right by the American people. And we saw that. You can't say much more about the heart of President Trump. You, you heard someone who he works very close with and, and is always there to take her call, Cynthia Hughes, earlier in the show today, talking about the Patriot Freedom Project. Then you heard Brendan Judd, who's the head of the Border Patrol Union. Listen, we talk to a lot of people who work in and around the borders, whether it's the investigative reporters like Jorge Ventura, people who, you know, is the former head of major agencies like Tom Holman, or just, you know, agents and officers who, who reach out to the show on a regular basis and, and try to tell us what their daily lives look like and, and what their jobs look like. These guys would put the show dirty jobs out of business for the, the negative press that they get for having forklifts lift up barbed wire. It doesn't take into account any of the death and despair they're dealing with on a regular basis. These people are getting Molotov cocktails thrown at them, pot shots taken from across the border, rocks getting thrown over the fence. They're scooping dead bodies out of the river and finding them out in the wilderness portions of the border on a regular basis. And then the amount of drugs and bodies that are coming in within the, the port areas of the border, it's just... And it's how it must feel to be trying to do that job, like being somebody who sincere, sincerely wants to do good and then just seeing that they're literally just hanging out and passing out fruit snacks and waving everybody in. That's the truth. You know, as we're getting ready to wrap here and jump in with Jake Denton, I do have some other news on Thursday of next week, 10 a.m. up on Capitol Hill. They'll be reconvening. And this is James Comer. The weaponization committee is going to be doing a little bit of oversight and looking at some of the first rounds of subpoenas coming in here for Joe Biden and the Biden crime family. So we're going to get our first look into what the hearings are going to be looking at as early as next Thursday. I'm looking to see, oh, I saw Michael Hayden, former director of the CIA and the FBI. Noah, he put out this awesome post on Thanksgiving. 
It's entitled, No Difference at All. It's a woman holding a gun, a Bible, and a flag. And then it's a radical Islamic terrorist in the other picture. Wow. That's a bold statement. <laughs> yeah. Failed presidential candidate. and uh, That's kind of insulting, really. Former general. And again, director of the CIA and FBI. Michael Hayden put out that post on social media. Do I have any poll numbers? Looking right now, I think I might have pulled one that came out. Everybody was kind of closing it down. Here we go. This one's from Center for Politics, and this is the 2024 general election independence. It's a roundup of September and October's numbers. Center for Politics has Trump 51, Biden 49. NPR Maris has Trump 49, Biden 43. Fox News has Trump 48, Biden 40. ABC Washington Post, Trump 52, Biden 39. CBS News, Trump 57, Biden 42. Quinnipiac, Biden 46, Trump 41. The average of all of those polls with an aggregate of plus seven, Donald Trump 50, Biden 43. So that's the way they're kind of looking at it. Remember, that's just a uh, combination of September and October's polls with no other candidates in the race. We all know there's going to be other candidates. And, uh, you know, man, it's just... It was kind of like a weird Thanksgiving. What do you think, Noah? Yeah, just everything that was going on and, like, everybody's at each other's throats politically and all the weird shit that was happening. Yeah, this is it's a messed up. I, I just, I, I'm i hesitant to think about what the future is going to look back and, and say about this time period. Just <laughs> all the just asinine stuff. Like, when, when the left finally eradicates themselves by, A, not having children... Mm and B, aborting what children they do have. Good point. And C, the only way for them to then procreate is to indoctrinate other people's children. Mm. And that just, that's not going to work. At least it makes for a better dating pool on our end here. <laughs> it makes it easier to spot the uh, the Ax- nose. <laughs> Axe wounds? Yeah. Wrapping things up here, and in our last audio clip of the week, which has been a busy but... A week we're thankful for here on Steak for Breakfast. Former Trump administration official Stephen Miller dropping the hammer on what President Trump's looking to do as part of Agenda 47 and his immigration policy. Let's hear it. Add to this, and I could obviously talk about it for, you know, an hour, but is that President Trump has also said that he would invoke a statute that's been on the books since the John Adams administration. The John Adams. uh, Which allows you to deport any alien aged 14 or older without due process, if there's a declared state of incursion, a predatory incursion or invasion from that country. So this is an extremely powerful tool that waives due process, and so that would be an additional authority that you'd be able to use to expedite these removals. I like it. I mean, it would it would stem the flow. It would, it would slow things down, because the only reason that we've seen the giant upticks of people coming in is because they've literally have had a, the NGOs in whatever country they're coming from encouraging them and telling them inviting them, inviting them. And because this has become a business to a lot of people, like some of these NGOs, like, I mean, I don't know how much their, their directors and presidents and whoever, whatever structure they have in these NGOs, I'd be willing to bet these people are buying some, uh, Hunter Biden art with the money they're making. Oh, there's there's some developing news on that. Wasn't ready for the show because it's still a lot of rumors and hearsay. But it looks like it doesn't seem like the art interested elites are the only people that are buying 
Hunter Biden's penis pics and spray art for tax write-offs. We'll get into that Hmm. probably closer to the weaponization committee as they'll probably be presenting some of that next week as well. You don't want to tickle that one a little bit more? Only with Skittles. Guys, we're getting ready to jump in with Jake Denton, but before we do, let's check in one more time with one of our partners. It's an unpleasant truth that 42% of Americans are obese and 79% of Americans are overweight. That's practically one in every two Americans living day to day with every minute counting down to the end of an unhealthy existence. It's time to change that and make Americans healthy again. You've probably heard about weight loss injections that can help you get back into that right mindset and help curb those cravings so you can focus on what's really important. New Hope Wellness has changed thousands of lives and maybe it can change yours too. They are American family owned and operated with the goal of saving lives. With convenient telehealth options, you can speak to a licensed professional from the comfort of your own home, and all products are delivered discreetly to your front door. Visit newhopewellness.com forward slash state and start your journey to a better you. That's newhopewellness.com forward slash state to get your free consultation and 100 bucks off your first order. 1-800-527-2150. Make America healthy again. All right, joining us next on the show today is big Black Friday edition of the Steak for Breakfast podcast. He is the master of tech policy down at the Heritage Foundation we love having him on the show when he's back and joining us. Mr. Jake Denton, thanks for coming back. Absolutely. Thanks for having me. Did you have a nice Thanksgiving, sir? Yeah, it's great. I'm out west, so I was able to escape the swamp for a few days, and uh, we even got a little snow out here, so it's uh, it's nice to be in a normal part of the country. Oh, I like that. <laughs> Jake, there's a lot of stuff we want to talk about. Something we always touch on with you in some context is TikTok. It's come back to the forefront of politics, not legislatively, but on the campaign trail. We saw over the course of the last two Republican fake primary debates, Vivek Ramaswamy and Nikki Haley bickering over it. And now, does it even make a difference on what's going on up on Capitol Hill with trying to regulate TikTok or even eliminate it from the United States with people like the current president, Joe Biden, looking to make it a huge component of his reelection campaign next year? Yeah, I don't really think the debates have any impact really on the conversation. They obviously stir up some form of media coverage, but it doesn't move the needle in any meaningful way when it comes to how our legislators are approaching this. Uh, The conversation between Haley and Vivek was pretty interesting. I think, uh, you know, at the end of the day, TikTok should not be on anyone's device. TikTok shouldn't be available in the U.S. Uh, But Vivek presents an argument that you hear quite commonly now on the right, especially in D.C., that we need to embrace TikTok and uh, use it as a communications tool and that, um, you know, it really is the only way to Gen Z. Uh, And I think this is generally flawed, first being uh, the fact that we're still under a big tech kind of censorship umbrella, even on TikTok, even though it's Chinese based. Um, You know, you could see a a million point five impressions on a video that you post doesn't mean a million point five people saw it. We have no idea how they're counting impressions. Doesn't mean those million point five are in the United States. And so there's this kind of clamor on the right to capitalize on this impressions farm. But the impressions are meaningless. You know, your time would be much better spent building, you know, an actual American based digital infrastructure um, of supporters. Right. Whether it be on Instagram, whether it be in uh, email lists much better well-spent, you know, digital operations. Um, And then you just have the data privacy element of this where you're just undermining all of the big concerns that we've presented over the last two years of uh, whether it be stealing passwords through clipboard monitoring, whether it be tracking your geolocation, uh, really all that passive surveillance that goes on every day to even entertain this sends a message to your supporters that, you know, it is safe to go on the app, which it's absolutely not. And that's the real concern here is, these people are supposed to be leading us. Um, TikTok, joining TikTok might be the easy thing to do, but it's not the right thing. 
Um, and then you mentioned the Joe Biden element of this, where his campaign is going to join. I think the important element from that is that, uh, you know, the campaign's effectively already on TikTok. They have a million different surrogates posting every day on their behalf. Uh, they have the TikTok war room, which was technically a White House kind of project, but it's obviously a campaign enterprise. Sure. Um, so they're posting. The only issue I see really um, that's a new element of this, obviously, it's a huge concern to have any form of presence from our government officials on the app. Uh, but if he joins in an official capacity as a campaign account, it is very clear that they'll get a boost from TikTok. And it suddenly changes from a conflict of interest to a quid pro quo, where they could potentially avoid ban evasion by making the Biden campaign dependent on the messaging tool. Um, and suddenly you have this Chinese company that is leading the messaging effort for a presidential campaign. And it's also under a review for national security purposes. Huge issue there, uh, but not being talked about enough. Yeah, and I think once you know the campaign rolls out an official account, uh, in any kind of context, it's already too late. It's essentially looking to put the toothpaste back in the tube. They can go bicker about it up on Capitol Hill and try to push legislation on it, but it won't affect anything into next year's election campaign. There won't be enough time. Um, you know, and you're correct with the impressions. I think impressions are kind of meaningless as well. I'll just give you an example that I can only provide that on. That's for the Steak for Breakfast account on X. We, over the course of the last couple of months, have averaged about 5.5 million impressions a month. I can tell you one thing. It doesn't equal downloads as far as your podcast goes, because if it did, we probably would have been signed by Spotify or somebody already. And it's the same thing that people have talked about in regards to like optics of uh, let's just talk about the presidential election still and keep it in politics. The amount of people who regularly attend rallies, let's just say Trump rallies, even though there's tens of thousands, sometimes 50,000, 70,000 people at a rally, it doesn't always necessarily equal votes. So you, you have to be able to get those people to not only give the impression, but then follow through on whatever you want, whether it's campaign donations or obviously going to the ballot box and in, in referencing rallies, etc. Jake, I want to segue here a little bit. We have an opportunity right now, and, and you've been at the forefront of this, to kind of harness the idea that is AI uh, and, and bring America back to, a, as you've put it, golden age of American prosperity. I like that. But, you know, listen, as you at the tip of the spear and seeing some of the battles on the ground with all this stuff in AI, I mean, just uh, open AI over the course of the last couple of weeks, the Sam Altman drama that's kind of spiraled out of control and into the news cycle. What can you tell our listenership about that? What's going on there? Yeah, you know, and it's funny, I think around this time last year, I was on the show talking about FTX and how it just fell apart in thin air. Correct. Uh, and it's, it's really reminiscent of the same pattern where, you know, the public's getting little trickles of information. There's a big blast on X, you know, kind of shifts the conversation. Uh, but we still really don't know what unfolded uh, between Sam Altman being outed and now seemingly rejoining the team. I think it's official that he's going to be back now. Um, we really don't know what prompted it. We really don't know the internal conflict. Um, what you can essentially reconstruct from uh, the information that's been put out on X by citizen journalists and people on the inside is that this was a kind of civil war internal coup between the safetyists, uh, which are, you know, we'll get into that in a moment, but um, a faction that's very prevalent now in Silicon Valley. And then you have the kind of effective accelerationists, uh, which is another faction that wants to kind of uh, push this thing to the forefront, really go a million miles an hour. Um, and, you know, there's kind of merits to both sides of the thing, uh, thinking there. I think uh, there are safety concerns. We've talked about them on the show, uh, but we also can't drag this thing to a complete halt. We still have to innovate. We still have to go forward. So it's about striking a balancing act. But 
what you saw in the OpenAI debacle was the potential for nearly $100 billion evaporating overnight due to this kind of ideological conflict between the two factions. Had nothing to do with the viability of the product, had nothing to do with um, really anything tangible. It was this ideological squabble. Um, And it kind of shows you the way that politics is contaminating Silicon Valley, uh, which is really the foundation of our economy at this point. Um, And the fact that you could have a company of that scale vanish overnight, essentially, by, you know, firing people for this factional argument over, you know, the merits of accelerating versus uh, bringing down to a halt is very concerning because you look at China, who's our main adversary when it comes to just about everything, they're trying to push their AI capabilities as far as possible, as quick as possible. And, you know, you could just send in one person and blow up an entire company through a little uh, squabble. So I think that's the the big element here that that's really worrisome is it's very fragile. Um, this isn't a one-off issue. This could pop up in any one of our companies now that have AI exposure. Um, you know, the safetyist, ex- effective accelerationist uh, faction is prevalent everywhere now. Um, and this was just like maybe the first battle of a, a long-term war here as things move forward. Do you think Altman was brought back in because of the concerns over what he might be able to uh, blow the whistle on if they just completely cut him off and he went public with this, wants to sit down with like get interviewed by Elon Musk or, or someone on one of these huge platforms and just kind of tell all about the safety concerns they have over there? Well, so, you know, the interesting element of this is that it seems to all be stemmed around this Q star development, which is one uh, you know, sub product within OpenAI that they believe is going to get them closer to AGI, um, artificial general intelligence, right? It's something that can iterate off of itself. Uh, and it's still not very clear on, you know, where that product is at, but there was supposedly a letter that prompted this board review uh, that outed him. And I think the real concern is that Altman and his contingent within OpenAI are capable of replicating that exact product externally. And so you saw in the immediate aftermath of his outing that Anthropic, a rival company that was founded by some folks that started OpenAI, were looking for a potential merger opportunity. And that was purely because OpenAI's product is not something that is immune to being spun up in another shop and you know taken out of the market. So Microsoft comes along potentially scoops up Altman and his best engineers, they can just go rebuild this thing. And so I think the real concern there was uh, the board being sued for essentially burning $100 billion of investment uh, for no reason. I think that was probably the most likely reason they bent the knee and came back rather than a a tell-all or an expose. You know, we always have after credits at the end of our show. We could have went with anything from war games, and we decided to lean with Transformers today after talking before we started recording the show, and then Sean Pe- Parnell dropping up more than meets the eye <laughs> d- during his time on with us today. But, Jake, it- it's something that you really have to start thinking about. Where we may be behind the curve in hypersonic technology, it seems like the United States and China are running neck and neck in regards to AI weaponry. Now there's some reports leaking out of the Department of Defense over the last couple of weeks that's saying the government is leaning towards allowing AI to target human beings and, and in some instances moving towards like autonomous targeting. That seems like a movie I saw somewhere. <laughs> or, or, or one will be playing at the end of our show today, which is kind of rolls in with like, you know, things like Terminators and Transformers. What do you think when you start to hear stuff like this? It's a really tough one and one that we're going to be increasingly tasked with trying to find policy solutions around in D.C. 
you know, the thing that comes right to mind is the power competition between China and the U.S. China has no issue with this, right? And so we're immediately at a disadvantage if we were to say no autonomous targeting. I think really where you have to draw the line is uh, between autonomous targeting and autonomous uh, killing, right? It's like there isn't necessarily harm in identifying the target. It's allowing them to press the button independently, right? Allowing the machine to then decide, okay, now this is uh, a target worth killing. And I think that is where the U.S. will differ. I think we're much more inclined to require a human in the loop, someone to authenticate the decision um, than, you know, our Chinese equivalent, where they're probably more likely to just allow this thing to go as quick as possible and just revolutionize their war fighting. So that, to me, is the big element of this. And my only real concern with the autonomous targeting and remaining someone a human in the loop is I think we're increasingly seeing this deference from the human to the machine, where we just assume that the machine is smarter than us. And, you know, whether it be in sentence structure, when you use chat GPT or a hiring decision, I think you're already beginning to see the consequence of these systems and the sci-fi lore behind them, that they're all knowing and super intelligent. Because when a human is uh, you know, holding a belief that differs from the recommendation of the machine, we're already seeing people just go with the machine. Um, and so in that autonomous targeting with the human in the loop element, it may be necessary for our national security, but there is a world in which external products such as a chat GPT or something else continues to build the confidence of the operator to a degree where it's going to be very hard for them to step in and say the machine's wrong, I'm right. Uh, because everything around you will just appear to be smarter than you are, right? Mm -hmm. So I think that is where my main concern is. Um, I don't think we're at the sci-fi scenario yet. And I think it is still very far away from us, you know, having to worry about a, a runaway AI killing us all. I don't think that's really something we have to be too concerned over. Um, but it, these types of early policy decisions are what will lay the foundation for the future, right? So that's why it's important for us to... Um, legislate before these things become a problem rather than wait and react. Um, and we're very bad at that. I think uh, it's very clear between TikTok, social media, censorship, all these things. We tend to just wait when it comes to technology and try and figure it out later. Um, and I don't think a single one of those policy battles has been closed yet. You know, we have a million different things we're trying to solve. Not one of them has been fixed. It's crazy. I, th I think it's it's pretty safe to say we're at the road that leads down to all of those scenarios you kind of line out there, but at the very beginning of the road right now, and, and it seems like legislatively we're not as in tune with some of the people that are working on this material behind the scenes, which I think is equally as scary. Jake, last thing I want to touch with you on, you know, someone who does live within the parameters of a sci-fi movie, you could argue is probably Elon Musk. He's got as part of his platform now on X, he's, he's looking to incorporate the Grok, uh, you know, there's a lot of people talking about it. He's kind of posting about it, making fun of the Q plus stuff or Q star stuff as well. And, and, and we want to be able to uh, let our listenership know just exactly what he's got going on with that. Yeah, this is essentially a rival to chat GPT. This is like a chat based system that you could potentially put in a question and it'll give you an answer. Um, and this will scale from anything of, you know, what is two plus two to, you know, how do you handle this complex interpersonal uh, situation? It'll essentially give you advice or a recommendation or a solution to a problem. Um, and I think what's unique about Grok versus a chat GPT or Anthropics Claude is that it doesn't appear it has a, a very heavy handed safety layer. So, you know, that is kind of what you're encountering on all these apps when you type in what are Donald Trump's top five accomplishments? And it says, as a you know chatbot, I can't give you an answer. 
in theory, Grok, without this kind of censorship uh, built in, is going to be able to answer that question, making it a more viable tool. And I think what Elon is wagering on here is that uh, all of these other tech companies are handicapping themselves by trying to be politically correct. And if you come in with a tool that doesn't have the nonsense with the safety layers and the limitations on what you can ask, it'll become the market favorite right away. Um, and I think you'll begin to see that as it gets built out. It's very early stages. If you play with it and you don't think it's as good as ChatGPT, it's because you know it's still being built out. They're a little bit behind. Um, but there is a world in which two to three months down the road here with the increased user base on X kind of training it and refining the product, um, you could see this emerge as kind of the premier chat-based AI system. Uh, and it'd be a great development for us, I think, all around um, to have a product of that nature without a, a censorship umbrella over it uh, would be huge. Yeah, I think so as well. It's going to be interesting to see. We always know that Elon Musk wants to get ahead of the curve on this stuff and troll all the you know, uh, competitors he has out there as well. Jake, this is awesome catching up with you today. Thanks for jumping on the show during this uh, Thanksgiving week. We're obviously going to be live linking your page at the Heritage Foundation, the show description today. But for anyone that wants to follow you on social media, if they're not already, where can they find you? Yeah, I'm at Real J Denton on X, and that's about it these days. I'm I'm sticking to X, uh, trying to you know just build that out as the main platform. You can also find me on the uh, the Heritage website with all my writings. Uh, you know, we're continuing to to pump out AI content and things. You know, the older battles, whether it be social media or TikTok as well. Regardless of how old they are, this guy's at the front of fighting them. This is the tech policy expert when he comes on stake for breakfast. He's doing the same down at the Heritage Foundation. Mr. Jake Denton, thanks for joining us on the show and have a great weekend. Absolutely. Thanks for having me. I'm thankful this week, Noah. How about you? I am also thankful. We're thankful for our listenership as well. If you enjoyed this episode of the podcast and want to hear the now over 290 other editions of the show, well, you best be following us on every downloadable podcasting platform. That's Apple, Spotify, Google Podcasts, or iHeartRadio. Follow the show, rate it five stars, leave a review. And then on social media, Twitter, Getter, Truth Social, and Instagram. Find all the Steak for Breakfast accounts, follow them, and hit the notification bell. We want to thank all of our guests for coming out today. The host of Battleground Live, Mr. Sean Parnell. The president and founder of the Patriot Freedom Project, Ms. Cynthia Hughes. Tech specialist at the Heritage Foundation, Jake Denton. And the infamous Brendan Dilley. Always great sitting down with all of them. You guys all helped make Steak great again. Guys, I know we're heading into the weekend and you got some podcasts to catch up on. Make sure you're downloading all of ours. And we'll be back on Tuesday. We've got an absolutely packed end of November show lineup. House candidate Joe Kent, Patreon Freedom Project attorney Ed Martin, senatorial candidate in Nevada, Dr. Jeff Gunter will be here, Trump attorney Jesse Benal, and Congressman Mike Collins will all be joining us. So on behalf of the pod team, I'm Roan. Noah? Later. Thanks for listening. Have a great weekend and take care. One shall stand, one shall fall. Why throw away your life so recklessly? That's a question you should ask yourself, Megatron. No! I'll crush you with my bare hands!